This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I am on a one-man mission. Well, not a one-man mission, but I am on a mission to make radio great again. And there was a time when radio was the go-to medium for entertainment, for information, and so forth. And these days, a lot of the people that work in radio, they don't even like to use the word radio. They try to run away from it. They try to use the term audio. They try to emphasize their digital offerings and podcasts. Well, I am unabashed about the fact that I enjoy being on the radio and I want to help this medium thrive and succeed to the next generation. Now, part of the method that I've utilized in the entirety of my radio career, and I still utilize on the day to, on a day-to-day basis, is I've been a big radio listener. A lot of the great hosts over the years, and even people that weren't in the talk format, but other people in the personality-driven medium, DJs like Cousin Brucie and even personality-driven weather people like Lloyd Lindsay Young, and the list goes on. One of the things that I've done is I have tried to steal from the greats. Anything that people might like about this show that I do on the regular basis, chances are it's stolen or appropriated or at least inspired by something Someone else has done. Now, I don't know what that says about my own lack of creativity. I'm sure it says something, but whatever it is, hopefully that means we've been able to hodgepodge through a compilation of borrowing from the greats, a show that's worth listening to on a daily basis. I think we have. Now, in talking with a lot of the great radio talents that we've spoken to over the course of the last few weeks, Richard Bay, Cousin Brucie, Malachi McCourt, um, Alex Bennett. I've been thinking to myself, what else could I steal? And I remembered a conversation that I had with Governor David Patterson the last time that he was on the show. Now, Governor Patterson, as he made clear the last time he was here, was not only the first black governor of New York State, not only a member of the MTA board, not only the former chairman of the New York State Democratic Party, not only the minority leader formerly of the New York State Senate, He's got a list of accomplishments a, while, a mile long. But first and foremost, Governor Patterson's like me, probably like us. He is a radio fan. He's probably listening right now. And so Governor Patterson was on this show, I guess, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about Alex Bennett and this bit that he used to do. Alex Bennett called it King of the Hill. And Governor Patterson, when he was doing a radio show on another station, chose to steal that bit, and he called it Governor's Island. This is Governor Patterson talking to me a few weeks ago. What I would do is I would ask people to call up 
and to pick a topic that they wanted to debate. And after the two debated, um, whoever the winner was would stay on. And then the next caller could call with, let's say the person that won the debate was the person of political uh, philosophy that's conservative. The next caller calls up and that caller takes a very conservative position, forcing the champion to debate, let's say, the more liberal position. So it was a test of how well do you understand your adversary? If necessary, could you state your adversary's view uh, accurately? And the exercise I thought was particularly interesting because, uh, boy, there was a woman, I remember her name, Cheryl Blue, Hmm. a serious conservative woman, African-American, but she would flip on the dime and you would, and when she got finished, she thought AOC was talking. <laughs> and, and she was, I think, a two-time champion of Governor's Island. All right. So uh, I've known Governor Patterson for a long time, long before he was the governor. I knew him before he was Senate Minority Leader. We used to be sort of drinking buddies in Albany. And I really first got to know him when he was filling in on the radio for Jay Diamond around 1999 or so as a personality. And I could tell what an enthusiastic radio fan he was. And it was in that fill-in appearance that Governor Patterson did, because I never really listened to Alex Bennett when Alex Bennett was on WMCA. I didn't really even know who Alex Bennett was until, except by reputation. I never was exposed to him until he went on Sirius in 2003. But Governor Patterson and I, uh, it was uh, when I was listening to Governor Patterson and he described how he first got to know Jay Diamond. He said he remembered Jay Diamond calling in as Spiro Agnew on the Alex Bennett show. And uh, I thought that was interesting because it kind of makes things go full circle. But I got to work with Governor Patterson about 10 years ago on another radio station. I was a producer and he was filling in on a show and he actually had his own show, but he was filling in on another show. And he said to me, you know who would be fun to talk to? Alex Bennett. And so I booked Alex Bennett as a guest for Governor Patterson's show. And Governor Patterson brought up the same thing with Alex Bennett 10 years ago that he, that he brought up with me three weeks ago. This is a, a portion, small portion, of Governor Patterson talking with Alex Bennett about King of the Hill. I was thinking of you because there was a little exercise that I used to hear you do back at WMCA, which I thought was amazing. And it was a kind of king of the hill where you would have a caller, two callers debate an issue, and then the winner had to stay on and debate the next caller on whatever issue they uh, brought up. So in other words, you might have the same caller, the same person debating both sides of an issue in one of these segments, and I thought it was a great exercise for people because if you're really going to debate people, you have to have some understanding of what your adversary is feeling. People were not just sent from hell to debate right. you because they're inherently right. evil. And uh, now I um, uh, co-opted your, uh, your idea and called it Governor's Island when I was on <laughs> <laughs> WOR. Who would rule over Governor's Island? And So he goes on. So here's what we're going to do. We are bringing this concept back right now. We are going to have a contest for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or as long as it remains interesting to see which caller, which listener in our audience is the best debater. Okay. 
And then whoever's less standing, and the way that we're going to do this is, if you want to participate, by the way, you can call in at 800-848-9222, but uh, it's 800-848-9222. But I want to warn you, you can't say, I'm only going to call in and debate positions that I agree with. You can't say, oh, I'm only taking the right-wing position on something. The way this is going to work is in the first round, I will pick the subject and I will assign you what side of the debate you will defend. Then we'll go on for a minute, minute and a half, two minutes maybe. And then the people in the studio, Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and me, Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and I, will determine who has won that round. Then whoever wins that round will face off against the next caller And that caller can choose whatever topic they want. And the champion from the previous round, the incumbent, as it were, has to defend their existing uh, their existing title. So this is how it's going to work. So uh, let's say uh, E. Frank calls in and Gary from Staten Island calls in. I say, Gary, no matter how you feel about it, uh, I I am going to make you argue the position that uh, sanctions on Russian officials is a good thing. E. Frank, you're taking the position that sanctions on Russian officials is a bad thing. The two of them go at it for 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever. And then Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and I will determine who has won that round. Then the next caller, let's say it's Jennifer from Boston. Jennifer from Boston can call in and say she wants to debate the designated hitter rule, and she wants to take the position that the designated hitter rule is bad for baseball. And it could be any topic you want. doesn't have to be political. It could be anything. And then Jennifer takes the position that the DH rule is bad for baseball. And then Gary or E. Frank will take the position, uh, the opposite position. And we'll keep going until we have a winner. Now, whoever wins at the end of the day or at the end of the 15 minutes that we're going to do this, not only will we give you a complimentary piece of other side of midnight merchandise, but what I think we'll do, if this goes well, I mean, if it goes boring, if it goes poorly, we're never going to do this again. But if it goes well, we're going to try this for four weeks. We're going to try this for the next tonight and the next three or four weeks. And then a month from now, I am going to invite the three or four champions of this to join me in studio for an entire show. Now, obviously, if you're in Boston, maybe you don't want to make the commute all the way to New York. I get it. So you'll have the option of joining me in studio. You don't have to. But we'll do a whole show with four of you in studio to um, debate the issues of the day for all four hours. So I think this will be fun. And if you don't want to, again, come in studio, then at least you still get your hat. So if you want to participate, be a contestant now. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I don't know if we're going to call it King of the Hill, as Alex Bennett did. I don't know if we're going to call it uh, Governor's Island, as um, Governor Patterson did. I feel like because Governor Patterson exposed it to me again we should at least give him a little bit of a nod of the hat. I brought this up with Alex Bennett when I've interviewed him, not in our most recent interview, but previous interviews. And Alex Bennett didn't even remember this. <laughs> he like barely remembered this. And I, I was talking to Governor Patterson as I was coming in last night. And I said, I think that's so funny that clearly this bit that Alex Bennett did was so meaningful to you and so meaningful to so many listeners that Alex barely remembered it.
<laughs> I thought that was funny. All right. So you go, go ahead and start queuing up right now. There's six open lines, 800-848-9222. Whoever emerges as the king of the hill or the head of Governor's Island, who will rule over Governor's Island, I think we'll call it maybe the other side of Governor's Island. Maybe we'll take that. Well, we'll take that approach. And the issues can vary widely. I'm going to pick the first one. But then after that, you can take the opinion that uh, the um, the United States government should uh, disclose more information about flying saucers. Or uh, you should take the approach that uh, uh, California shouldn't be banning gas cars. Or you could take the approach that uh, Donald Trump should be indicted. Whatever the case may be. Any issue you want. doesn't have to be political. It could be cultural. It could be pop culture. It could be anything. It could be um, Captain Picard was the best Star Trek captain. Whatever it is. You take that position and then you're going to debate whoever the incumbent is. And then Matt, Kenneth, and I will determine who the winner of each round is. And we'll keep going until we get a winner. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. All right. Let us begin uh, first. This is no surprise here with our first contestant, uh, E. Frank in Astoria. And then, uh, hello, E. Frank. How are you? Yeah, hello, uh, Frank. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, thanks for being had. And then uh, our next contestant is uh, Mike in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. Yeah, how you doing? Mike, uh, so um, we, we, you guys are both up on the you're, – you're understanding the concept here, right? Roughly, yeah. yeah. All right, so, guys, make sure your radio's off. That's the first one. Anybody that leaves their radio on, we're automatically disqualifying uh, without a vote or anything. Mm. Uh, and so make sure your radio's off. You ready to go? Sure. Okay, so um, – Our first subject will be whether or not abortion should be legal or not. Now, E. Frank, irrespective of whatever your position is, we are assigning you the position to argue that abortion should be legal. And, Mike, irrespective of whatever your position is, we are assigning you the position that abortion should be prohibited. Okay, both of you clear? Okay. Okay, so, E. Frank, uh, go ahead and tell us why abortion should be legal well uh, i believe that abortion is not a freedom it's not a constitutional right for every american to decide what they should do with their body what they should do with their fetus i believe abortion should be uh, a, a legal understanding of what life is and what life is not so abortion should be legal for people who believe they feel they should have the right for their personal freedom rather than a constitutional insight on what abortion should be. All right, Mike, uh, where where is E. Frank wrong? Well, I think he uh, he hasn't taken into effect the fact that uh, when you take that position, the human being becomes expendable. It becomes uh, removable like rubbish. It's, uh, it, it's the same argument that the Nazis used when they, uh, they eliminated – uh, the disabled, the the men- what they consider to be the mentally unfit, the criminal element, homosexuals. Where does it end? It, it's a matter of where do, where you make a choice of what is what where do humanity ends, where do humanity begins. Uh, it's the same thing with euthanasia. What? How can we determine what life, what form of life, what person who is alive has meaning and worthwhile for society? That, for example, there's a there is a theory that says. That Down syndrome, which should have uh, genetically been eliminated from our species millions of years ago, still persists. And why? Because it is an example of 
the compassion gene, as it were. That is, mm. by all rights, you know, uh, we, Down syndrome children. In fact, they, they even show that chimpanzees have Down syndrome children. And why do they persist? Because it's a way of showing our humanity, or even in the case of chimpanzees, of, of empathy, sympathy for some uh, entity that may not be up to our standards. All right, E. Frank, go, of- go ahead. You can retort. Yeah, uh, I uh, really don't believe that uh, abortion was uh, a right given to only a group of individuals who had a political uh, destiny of destroying other humans, such as Nazis. Uh, There's uh, relatives who are related to Nazi soldiers. They were deported from this country, and that's not the point. The point is that we're not demeaning human life. We're not demeaning uh, the the way someone should come out, uh, whether they have a genetic uh, a problem that is in their genome, it can't be corrected uh, in any shape, way, or form. I believe that uh, abortion is something that can't be defined as uh, a God-given right or a, a form of law. It has to be decided upon by a personal choice that you make through your own understanding. Uh, Mike, you will give you the last word. Well, again, it, it's, it becomes a, a matter of a, of a timeline or a slippery slope. But where does life uh, begin or end? Uh, uh, let's say a, a typical pregnancy is 288 days. 287 days, they're not a human, but 289 days, they are. It becomes a, a matter of arbitrary deciding about okay. where life begins right. and ends. All right. I, I think I know how I'm voting. Uh, Matt Blaze, what say you? E. Frank. You think E. Frank won? Yes. All right. Uh, Kenneth, what do you think? Uh, Kenneth, wh- I'm not hearing Kenneth. E. Frank. You think E. Frank won? I, see, I was going to go with Mike. I thought Mike won, but we'll go with the majority. E. Frank wins round one. Mike, thank you for coming on the other side you just said of Governor's Island. Is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thing. All right. <laughs> Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. All right, E. Frank sticking around for round one. And now you can challenge E. Frank, and and you could pick whatever topic you want, and E. Frank is going to have to take the other side of that. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let us uh, say hello to Joe in Forest Hills. Joe, what is your topic? My topic? Yeah, what do you you want to debate? No. Hey, my name is Jeff. Hi, uh, gun control. All right, hang. for or against it? I'm for it. All right, so go ahead, make your case. Okay, why should be why should gun control be limited to you can't carry a gun in a restaurant or Times Square, you can't go in public places other than that? Where do most of these crimes happen? I think if you are a responsible human being and are are given a gun permit to carry. You should be able to carry that gun wherever you wherever you carry yourself, as long as you carry yourself in a decent manner. Wait, so I don't and understand, I, Jeff. Are, are you're for gun control or against it? I'm for gun control, except I'm not. I'm against these 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 sections like Times Square. You can't carry a gun. All right, you should, you, 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 you're, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, you're confusing me. Uh, again, I never thought I would sign with E. Frank. E. Frank, uh, I don't even understand what Jeff's position is. But if you want to retort, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, I don't uh, believe that 
uh, gun control is a problem. Uh, I don't want to sound biased in nature because I was uh, a member of the auxiliary police section of the New York City Police Department. All I did was carry a uh, hickory baton to defend myself as a part-time peace officer when I was doing my hours on the streets, and uh, I noticed that uh, the gun issue was very big. Back uh, when I was an auxiliary uh, during the David Dinkins administration, I noticed that gun control was something that was always emphasized in the police department. All right, Ethan. All right. I I think you win by default because I don't even understand what Jeff was trying to say. He's for gun control, but he's against gun-free zones. Uh, Matt Blaze, how did you find... I agree, E. Frank. Yeah, that's that's clearly an E. Frank. I think well, we're all in, in agreement. Defense, Frank, in my defense, I'm new to the game, and you you know I didn't know how to come up with a topic right oh, away. Okay, that's so fair. All right, well we'll invite you to play again. Box. We'll we'll invite you to play again next week, Jeff. Thank you. All right, call in and pick a topic that you're willing to debate E. Frank on. It can be any topic you want. The designated hitter, uh, should Trump run again? Um, you know, the flat tax, anything you want. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let us go to Joanna in Bridgeport. Joanna, topic, please. Joanna. All right. 800-848-9222. Corey in Palm Bay. Corey, topic, please. Yes, I believe that we should be investing our um, money and efforts into uh, nuclear energy instead of wind and solar all right, go ahead. Make your case as to why. Um, it's nearly uh, 100% efficient, 99.5%, much safer than mining coal. And the wind and solar power needs steel and needs all these chemical uh, irons that come from countries that are mined by basically slaves, and so I believe nuclear energy is the way we should go. All right, E. Frank, uh, Corey wants more of an emphasis on nuclear energy and more of an investment on nuclear energy. Explain to all of us why he's wrong. Yeah, I can tell you that he's definitely wrong because uh, the last two or three presidents uh, up to uh, George Bush Jr. have always emphasized the clean energy initiatives for our country with energy conservation uh, ideas that includes uh, electric cars, hybrid buses, hybrid law enforcement vehicles, and so on and so on. And so nuclear energy is uh, has a problem where there is a large amount of uranium decay issues, just like our garbage dumps. Oh, they have a large amount of decay uh, issues with radioactive material that decays in maybe two or three hundred years. So it's a better option to have energy conservation and uh, not with old carbon ideas that just uh, create uh, free radicals. All right. and, uh, uh, okay, Corey, what's your retort to E. Frank? My retort is that the amount of nuclear waste that's created. Um, is easily manageable compared to what the carbon footprint that we need to use to create these um, electric vehicles or lower-waste vehicles. All right, E. Frank, we'll go ahead and give you the last word. Yeah, I don't think that when there's a nuclear uh, um, 
radiation fallout in a nuclear power plant like Three Mile Island that we have the mm. advantage of uh, evacuating so many individuals at one time. All right. Um, uh, Matt Blaze, uh, Corey or E. Frank on nuclear power? Got to go with E. Frank. E. Frank. Uh, what do you think, Kenneth? E. e Frank? E. Frank. All right. Uh, that's a majority. I would have uh, gone with Corey. Let me say to the audience here. If I am stuck in studio with E. Frank for four hours, we are going to have a very tough time. So please, someone, anyone, call in and give him a run for his money. Where are all these know-it-all callers that have no problem correcting me whenever I'm wrong? 800-848-9222. I mean, if ever there was a day that I'm sorry Charlie Finch it was, is no longer with us, it's today. Where's Steve from Manhattan? Where's Jennifer from Boston? Where's David from the Bronx? Where are these people that have no problem debating me on every issue under the sun? They're cowering, they're weak at the knees at the prospect of debating E. Frank. Pick a topic, call in 800-848-9222. We're going to try again to go to Joanne in Bridgeport. Hello, Joanne. Hi. My topic is um, a way to fix uh, the news media and make it more fair. I'm thinking that we should have it where every night for 15 minutes the other side gets to be on the left or the right, whichever one it is, and have their points proven so people that only watch those channels will actually get the correct news. So I'm not clear, Joanne, again, so state your point clearly and what it is that you're – what position that you're taking. Like CNN, never hear the truth. So say that, finish this sentence, Joanne. My position on blank is blank and because of blank. Fill in the blanks in that sentence. My position on the biased news media is I'm against it, and I think that if all media was to show both sides, our world would be better. Is that better? Okay, all right, we'll take it. And and why? why? Why do you want that reform? The best thing is Hunter Biden's laptop, and Trump, President Trump would be president right now. That's my number one. Okay, E. Frank, I don't know that there was much in the way of argument or, or facts there, but go ahead. Explain to Joanne why there should not be an alternative view presented on the news. Yeah, I believe there should be an alternative uh, viewpoint only for this reason. I believe that many uh, issues that are presented uh, through our news media are uh, biased. They're reported only under certain circumstances and issues and time constraints. Many of our reporters and media uh, uh, individuals are uh, have different forms of uh, college uh, training, education, experience. So that's why I don't agree. Well, again, I don't know that you gave much of a reason there at all, but uh, Joanne, what do you say in response to E. Frank's objection to your argument? He just made my point, saying Mm. that they are biased and that they are trained a certain way, and and that's why I think that they should have a slot where the other side gets to show their facts. They have Uh, to show the facts uh, and and show people where they can go get more information on it. um, Yeah, I I, I think uh, you're winning this one round uh, with this round. E. Frank, um, I'll give you, as the champion of four rounds or three rounds, we'll give you an opportunity to have the last word here to rebut Joanne's final point there. Yeah, uh... I'm not in agreement with her, 100%. What I meant to say is that uh, I do believe that certain things are not biased. All I right. think okay. that we, we should look at the credentials of certain pressmen. 
Okay, that's very compelling. Um, all right, I'm clearly going with Joanne on this one. Are we, are we, are we all in agreement? Yes. Joanne. All right, the king is dead. Uh, e. Frank is no longer with us. The uh, the reigning reigning champion, the incumbent, uh, going on to the next round is currently Joanne in Bridgeport. So now you're going to call in 800-848-9222 and challenge Joanne on a topic of your choosing. It could be the designated hitter rule. It could be the legalization of drugs. It can be should police officers have to live in New York City. It could be any issue you want. Doesn't have to be a political issue. It could be um, you know uh, should we uh, you know uh, make Puerto Rico the fifty first state. Any issue you want. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let us go to Brian in Denver. Brian, topic please. Good evening, Frank and uh, Joanne, and uh, you made some great points, Joanne, and I think. Uh, Along the same lines as perhaps you were getting at, but in a broader scheme that's really affecting our society right now, causing a lot of the polarization that we're experiencing to have people so afraid about the state of our democracy, has to do with the institutional corruption that seems to have infested every major significant oh, so, U.S. Brian, what's your topic? What's your topic and what's your position on it? The topic is the lack of ethics and uh, institutional uh, cultural cultural values that stress transparency. Right. So what are you trying to do? Public. What is your position? What is your position exactly? To narrow it down, for, for okay, the uh, Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which Brian, has been Brian, very well, much let's try the same exercise. Uh, I'm, I'm my position on blank is blank because of blank. Fill in the blanks. Go ahead. My position on the issues that uh, are really uh, concerning Americans these days is specifically tied to the complete uh, lack of. Uh, attention and interest in ethics, which used to be a major part of American society and culture, is no longer relevant at all in any institution from the media to government. And it's time that we change that to strengthen our democracy. Right. Okay. uh, All right, Brian. um, Joanne, I don't know that you need to say much because I don't even understand what Brian is advocating for. I don't understand what, how you can argue for or against that. I don't even understand what he's saying. So uh, we'll give you the last word, but I think you're in a good position for this round, Joanne. Okay, I, I think I understand what he's saying, and I think it's got to do with money. Everybody seems to be going into the government to write their book or like Nancy Pelosi to make millions in the market, and they're being taught this way also in the schools. I don't know how far back it's going, but they have some people saying that it's been going on for years, that they're trying to train people like this. So I think that um, he's got a good point with the people have lost their aspects. I mean, I can't be and somebody re- like that and that doesn't care. Okay. And you remember, know, you're they, taking they the opposite. You're taking the opposite point of view. All right. Uh, Matt Blaze, what are you ruling there? Joanne. Uh, Joanne, Kenneth, yeah. Joanne. I think we're all on Team Joanne. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Guys, again, so you're picking a topic that um, Joanne has to argue the opposite end. It should be something not vague. It should be something that's clear and understandable. For instance, I think we should abolish the Electoral College because why should the person that didn't get the, the most amount of votes win the election? No other country in the world picks a president that lost the election. 
That's like, and then Joanne would come on and say, no, the Electoral College plays an important role in preserving the role of the states and making sure we don't have a tyranny of the majority and uh, not having the election decided by New York and L.A. And then the other person, you know, that's the way that it goes. 800-848-9222. Uh, let us go to Judy, Judy, Judy in Manhattan. Judy, topic, please. Um. I was just listening to George Newery. I didn't realize it had switched. All right. We're uh, going to make you automatically lose then. That's an instant loser if you're listening to another radio station and trying to call in. At least Joanne knew what show she was listening to. That's a point in her in her favor. Uh, let us go to uh, Al in Yonkers. Al, topic, please. Yeah, hi, Frank. I just wanted to say that my topic is I don't think President Biden should run again because he's not doing a good job and it's he's not even two years in. Uh, the reason I say that is because uh, the the chief executive of the country, he can't even I've never seen a president not hold a press conference. Hello. Yep. That's so that's yeah, your reason. He never, yeah. He never uh, can meet the press. Uh, it's unheard of. I mean, the open border situation in this country is a disaster. Uh, we're a more unsafe uh, country internationally and domestically. And again, uh, to reiterate, we're not even two years in. All right. So okay, I that's, uh, that's very, very well argued. Joanne, explain to Al why he's wrong and why President Biden should run again. Well, I think he's faking his dementia, so when he gets out of office, he can go spend all that money. So I'd like to see him run another four years and see if he can keep the dementia up, see if everybody's going to stand there and still give him the cue cards and whatnot to keep him going forward, see if he slips up and shows that he really does have a brain. Uh, That's uh, quite a twist. Al, why is Joanne in error? Uh, I'd say, uh, you know... uh... Because she said that the uh, the president of the country is faking his uh, his uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, I just can't see how anybody would fake that. I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's uh, it's not uh, you know he's not faking it. Okay, Joanne, we'll give you the last word. I don't know how obvious it is. Sometimes he's really on top of things. Sometimes he's just out there like a regular person trying to play a, a part. And if I had all these millions and diamonds and whatnot, I'd be playing that part very well. All right. Uh, Matt Blaze, what say you? That's a close one, I think. What say you? I got to go with Al. Al, Kenneth? Yeah, I'm going with Al, Al too. He, he had a, a better. Thank you, Joanne. You did well. Three okay. rounds. Okay. Uh, good job. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll go with Al. Al, and uh, he will face off against. Uh... Hey, Al, hang on. We'll continue this yeah. uh, when we come back, and then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and give you more of an opportunity. 800 848 So far, the reigning champion is Al in Yonkers. If you are able to beat Al in a, debating a topic of your choosing, Al has to take the opposite view, give us a call, 800-848-9222. We'll give you some prizes and an opportunity to co-host the show for a night as well. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We are playing the other side of Governor's Island, where we are forcing you to debate positions that you may or may not agree with. 
Um, and uh, whoever wins will not only get some great Other Side of Midnight merchandise, but you'll, a month from now, get to sit in with me and three other callers for four hours on the big issues of the day. As it stands now, Al is sitting in the winner's circle. We have one, two, three, four open lines if you want to challenge him. You pick the topic. You state what your position is and why why you believe it. It doesn't even have to be a position you really believe in. And then Al is going to have to retort whether he agrees with you in real life or not. That's the theater of it. That's the challenge of it. 800-848-9222. Let us go to uh, Mike in Queens. Mike, topic, please. Uh, test two babies. Okay, go ahead. Um, do you believe there should be any... No, no, no. It's what you believe, Mike. It's what you believe. You have believe to... Okay, what I believe... Uh, I believe that the, I had a, somebody in my camp that she went to the uh, 23andMe site, found out she was a test two baby... Now she's hooking up with 14 new brothers and sisters she never knew she had. They're going to meet the father that uh, donated his seed years ago. And I think to a degree, I mean, there is some moral obligation, I think, from the father. And I kind of think there should start being some financial obligation if somebody, you know, I mean, on the one hand, he's knocking one out into a Dixie cup, but on the other hand, uh, there are some financial responsibilities down the road. What say you? So, Mike, you, you again, your position is, and guys, for everybody that's calling, you should have a clearly stated position. We shouldn't have to play detective and trying to figure out what you're trying to say. Your position is is that people that donate sperm should be responsible for child support for any children that are born from a sperm bank, from their donation. In, in my opinion, there should be some financial remuneration moving forward. Okay. All right. Uh, Al, explain to Mike why he's wrong. Yeah, I, I just don't agree that uh, 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 financially uh, a, a person with the t- who was uh, the test tube uh, father of these children uh, should have to financially be responsible uh, as they move forward with their lives or give any kind of monies. So I would say uh, I disagreed with him on that. That I don't think they should be financially obligated to give any kind of financial uh, help as the uh, right, no, two babies. Okay, and uh, Mike, what's your response? Well, my response is there are some people in the world due to the fact that someone uh, donated sperm. And, I mean, I think you'd have to do a day-one scenario because you don't want to have it retroactive. All of a sudden, somebody owes a million dollars per child. But I think moving forward, there should be some uh, financial responsibility if one of the kids isn't exactly making it through life as best they can, my opinion. All right, Al, we'll give you the last word. Yeah, no, I just disagree. I think, you know, we would be going uh, Okay, all right, extreme. well, that's not much of an argument. Just saying you disagree is not much of an argument. And ultimately, the way the contest works is it, nobody cares if you agree or disagree. It's all about facts and argument. It's all about logic. It's all about uh, making your case. Um, all right, uh, Matt Blaze, you have a pick? I have to go with Mike. Uh, Kenneth? Mike. I agree. All right, Al, thank you very much. Thank Mike you, Mike. in Queens remains in the winner's circle. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are sending me emails with the callers they wish were calling in. One saying, where's Joe the bigot from Park, uh, from Parkchester? Where's Joe the woman <laughs> hater from uh, Brooklyn? Where's Stan from Forest Hill? People are all sending in who the callers they wish they were playing. So now's your opportunity. If you've ever dreamed of being in radio, this is your opportunity. 800-848-9222. Bill is in Morristown. Bill, you're on with Mike and Queens. Topic, please. 
Uh, let's go with uh, Aaron Judge should not be the MVP of the American League. Okay, go ahead. Explain this to, to us why. Well, I'll say for starters, he is often hurt. He strikes out too much. The team has struggled in crunch time as we're in the dog days of August, now going into September. And against the Houston Astros, uh, historically over the years, including this year, he's got a 213 batting average against the best team and the best pitchers. Uh, and this year he's hitting 150 against them. All right, Mike, explain to Bill why Aaron Judge should be the MVP. Aaron Judge should be the MVP in the American League because he's got 20 more home runs than anybody else in the league, which hasn't happened since the 1950s. Um, and also the fact that he has a rocket of an arm in the outfield. He's made some great plays in the outfield. So defense, offense, he's having a great year. He's the MVP. That's the end of that. Bill. Well, that's actually not true. He uh, doesn't have 20 home runs more than anyone else. And I would say as far as an arm goes, Otani on the Angels clearly has a much better arm because he's the best pitcher in the American League in addition mm. to being a better hitter than Judge. Mike. Well, Otani's uh, he's on a last-place team out in the West Coast. The Yankees are getting into the playoffs. So there's also the competitive team factor that he's putting the team on his shoulders and bringing them into the playoffs on top of everything else. And he has a chance to break the Yankee record uh, held by Roger Maris, a 61 home run. So, uh, nice try. Bill. And Otani has a record to chance to make the record of being the best pitcher slash hitter uh, in 100 years. Also, I would add that Otani is on a team without the best player in all of baseball, Mike Trout, and he's also on a team without the number two and number three starting pitchers, aces, and he's on a team without their closer. This is a very competitive, very competitive round. Mike, as the champion, we'll give you the last word. Uh, first place team, going to break the Yankee home run record. Uh, great defense. He's this iconic player. Uh, and Otani is stuck in moribund the angel land out in California. So he's a great player, Otani, but uh, judge uh, hands down. Uh, Matt Blaze, what do you say? I'm going with Bill. Well, Kenneth, what do you think? I'm going to have to go with Mike on this one. Oh, it's up to me. This is a tough one. Oh, the time I thought they were both really good. Um, all right. I, uh, I, this, is, uh, this is tough, but especially since Mike did not choose the topic, I think he, uh, he argued it uh, as well as I could have ever done. I'm going with, I'm going with Mike on this one uh, as the tiebreaker. Okay. Well done, though, Bill. Well done. well done, Bill. Well, Absolutely. I, I, play, I played contrarian. I'm a Yankee fan. Good job. Well done, Bill. Thank it's, you. It's very good. Very good. Very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. All right. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, David in the Bronx. David, topic, please. Yes. I feel one of the most important things in our country is that all people are subject to the law equally. And my feeling about Donald Trump is that if he committed any crimes regarding these documents, that he should be prosecuted. I would like to know why you feel likely that Donald Trump shouldn't be prosecuted as an ex-president for whatever he probably did. All right. Uh, Mike, uh, David says Trump should be prosecuted. Why do you disagree? Well, I'd have to disagree on the basis of uh, he has presidential status, which a lot of the, the common one doesn't have. Also, he hasn't really been dragged into court yet. There hasn't been any warrants or anything served on him yet besides the FBI going into his house. 
I mean, if he did something horrible, like they were talking about, oh, my God, he has nuclear secrets, that's a different ballgame. But right now it just seems like more uh, political silly season stuff going on on a high level. David. Yeah. All right. So the question was whether he should be charged if he did anything. The answer is that all Americans, if they commit a crime, should at least be investigated and if found probable cause, prosecuted. That is not what this person is saying. This person is basically saying that Donald Trump is exempt because he's the next president. That is dangerous because that would encourage any person to become president so they could commit criminal acts and not be investigated or prosecuted, which is very dangerous for our democracy. Mike. I still think there is some uh, presidential uh, stuff that the common man doesn't have. I mean, he has been vetted to become president of the United States. And if you just keep harassing Trump every five minutes for something that the common man won't even be bothered with, it's a different ballgame versus uh, just uh, – and I, I do believe in, in uh, fair and equal trials. And Trump, right up to now, Trump, Trump hasn't gotten that. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Matt Blaze, what do you think? I got to go with Mike. Mike, uh, what do you think, Kenneth? Uh, I didn't hear what you said. Mike. You say Mike. All right. Uh, you know, I think what David's problem was, and I'm surprised David didn't do better because David's like a really good debater. And I I thought I think David's problem was his position was too dependent on hypotheticals. It was, well, if this, then that. You know, when I if I were calling, I would say there should be no designated hitter rule because of this or marijuana should be legal because of that. Right. There's no, well, if marijuana does this, then it should be legal. Or if the baseball does that, then DH rule should be illegal. No. Uh, so Mike's still the king of the hill. 800-848-9222. Tony is in Florida. Hello there, Tony. Topic, please. Um, what exactly Biden is trying to do to this country? All right. So tell us what your position is and then argue it. And then Mike will argue against you. Okay. I think that Biden, along with uh, the bad prosecutors and plenty of other politicians, are on the payroll of George Soros, and he's not hiring them because they Tony, I, I don't. All right, Tony, I don't think you get the exercise, right? So you have to pick an issue and argue it, right? You're just you're just ranting. You're ranting. All right, I, I, I'm not even I'm not even entertaining that one. Uh, Charlie in Brooklyn. Charlie, topic, please. Good evening. America cannot do anything if China goes into Taiwan, North Korea goes into South Korea. What are we supposed to do? We can't get troops over there. You know, Desert uh, Storm took us like seven, eight months to get all the equipment over there. China has a navy. So what your position is, uh, and again, I, I wish I didn't have to play detective. I wish people would just say what their position is. But if I understand your position, it's um, if China invades Taiwan, the United States should not respond militarily. Is that right? But we can't do anything. Is that, is that right? Is that right, Charlie? Yes, okay, right. thank you. Mike in Queens, explain why the United States should intervene militarily if China invades Taiwan. Well, if China invades Taiwan, I think the, the United States, I don't know, to tell you the truth, bro, I don't know what we should do. It's, 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 uh, you're throwing a lot on my plate for like 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's, uh, that's the game. That's the game. Well, okay. Well, if China, we should, uh, I think we should have a presence. But when push comes to shove, I mean, you don't want to unleash a bunch of mushroom clouds in the South Pacific. So, well, no, but I you have to be... you have to disagree with Charlie, Mike. 
A Charlie's position is what again? Just I, I, you know, that's the believe me. It's his position is we should not intervene militarily if uh, the United, if China invades Taiwan, and you have to disagree. Well, we should gauge the circumstances because at the same time, you don't want to set off a nuclear flurry and that's the end of the whole world. But at the same time, we do have to defend our allies. If we get a reputation like uh, Joe Biden running around the world giving stuff up, we have to defend our allies. So if, if, to some degree, we have to have military force defend our allies. All right, Matt Blaze, what do you think? What do you think? Mike. Uh, Kenneth. Mike. Mike. All right, Mike wins again. Thank you, Charlie. We'll do one more, one more round, and then we got a break. Uh, who's been holding longest? Uh, Andy in Manhattan. Andy, topic, please. Yes, I believe the rules of tennis should be changed so that women need to win the same number of sets as men do to win the tournament. Any reason why? Because if they're getting paid the same amount for their prize money, they, they, they should, in a, in a, in a sense, we should look for equality, and if equality is, is part of sport, then that's the case. I believe that. Mike? Well, it depends on the uh, XXXY chromosome thing, once again, in that women are built physically different than men. I mean, just uh, men are stronger physically for the most part than uh, women athletes. So, I mean, you don't want the women keeling over trying to pick up five sets versus three mm. sets. So as much as I'd like to see women jumping around on the tennis court and midi skirts for five sets, I'm, I'm, I think right now we have to be satisfied with research. Uh, Matt Blaze, what do you think? Mike. Kenneth. Mike again. And I got to go with Mike as well. Uh, good topic, though, Andy. Mike, you are the king of the hill. Uh, give Kenneth your information. We're going to put you on hold. Well done. Uh, <laughs> sir, at least better than everybody else did. And, um, and, and, and then hopefully we'll see you in here a month from now as well. If, this, if we continue to stick with this. I may pull my hair out if this doesn't go well. Though. Um, give, uh, give Kenneth your information. We'll send you a prize. And then we'll see you in studio a month from now. For those of you that didn't get to play today, we'll do it again maybe next week, depending on the response to this. 800 Four eight nine two two two. We'll cover cover some other things in just a moment. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is, uh, this is sort of a Cold War-themed themed song, and uh, you may hear a few Cold War-themed songs uh, throughout the day because of the uh, passing of um, Mikhail Gorbachev. By the way, I got a great response to our uh, commentary on Mikhail Gorbachev in the, uh, in the final hour of yesterday's program. A lot of people said they learned things from that. A lot of people said they were... Uh, impressed with that for whatever reason. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that, maybe just go listen to the podcast. You could just search The Other Side of Midnight 
on any podcast app. Uh, that's uh, the uh, the other side of midnight with Frank Moreno. Now, um, hey, by the way, I enjoyed the all the baseball subjects that were uh, that were in that uh, debate right now in that debate segment that we just did. And I'm a baseball fan, and whenever there's interesting things happening in baseball, I've, I do find it pretty interesting. One of the things um, that I find in baseball pretty interesting now is what's happening with Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, who is in the twilight of his career, is in only there's 47 games left in the season, and he already has he's only six home runs away, or maybe it's seven home runs now, from reaching the plateau of 700 home runs for a career. There's only been three players in history that have done that. If he can pull that off, that would be really impressive. I mean, can you imagine Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and Albert Pujols? Never thought I'd see the day. Until next hour, in the words of Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Two of my favorite subjects are both in the news. One involves artificial intelligence. One involves UFOs. Um, Let me begin with the artificial intelligence aspect of things. I um, Look, I've been watching, and I, I am openly hypocritical on this, right? We have a smart speaker in my house. A lot of times I will use Alexa to play the radio and uh, I will use it for all sorts of things. Wanting to know what the temperature is, wanting to know about baseball scores, all sorts of things. So I do use artificial intelligence. And it's also been making me a little nervous in that I think that sometimes, you know, Google, Gmail, for instance, they will predict. I don't know if you have this. It works for me. If you're responding to an email or even if you're composing an email from scratch, it will fill out what it is that you might say. And it predicts what you want to say in this email. And sometimes what it actually predicts that I'm going to say is better writing than what I was going to come up with on my own. And I find that very frightening. I'm a science fiction fan. I've seen um, all these films. Terminator is the the most apocalyptic of it, but Battlestar Galactica, a number of others. We we covered all the science fiction aspect of this at the time, and they all basically deal with these these machines that were created by humans only to take over the world. So there was an interesting op ed. In the Washington Post by Emil Torres, a philosopher and historian of global catastrophic risk. And we may have Torres on the show. And this is a little bit of the op-ed. And then I want you to listen to this and then respond to it. 
People are bad at predicting the future. Where are our flying cars? Why are there no robot butlers? And why can't I take a vacation to Mars? But we haven't just been wrong about things we, we thought would come to pass. Humanity also has a long history of incorrectly assuring ourselves that certain now inescapable realities wouldn't. The day before Leo Zillard... I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It'll be embarrassing if I'm not. The day before Leo Szilard devised the nuclear chain reaction in 1933, the great physicist Ernest Rutherford proclaimed that anyone who propounded atomic power was taking moonshine. Even computer industry pioneer Ken Olson in 1977 supposedly said he didn't foresee individuals having any use for a computer in their home. Obviously, we live in a nuclear world or as George W. Bush would say, a nuclear world. And you probably have a computer or two within arm's reach right now. In fact, it's those computers and the exponential advances in computing generally that are now the subject of some of society's most high-stakes forecasting. The conventional expectation is that ever-growing computing power will be a boon for humanity. But what if we're wrong again? This is Torres asking this question, not me, but I share this concern. Could artificial superintelligence instead cause us great harm or our extinction? History teaches never say never. It seems only a matter of time before computers become smarter than people. This is one prediction we can be fairly confident about because we're already seeing it. Many systems have attained superhuman abilities on particular tasks, such as playing Scrabble, chess, and poker, where people now routinely lose to the bot across the board. By the way, I was reading this. They had a similar article on this subject in um, Axios, all about AI and whether or not people should be afraid and so forth. And it mentioned something that I was not aware of. Five years ago, AI, artificial intelligence, big win was that AlphaGo, that's the company that owns Google, AlphaGo, a machine built by Google, beat humans at the game Go, which was one of the last games where humans still had the upper hand. Now, the reason that struck me is, what is that? I don't know. This is in the New York Times. Uh, actually, it's not Axios. That's New York New York Times, I think, column by Kevin Roos. What is the game Go? Does anybody know what that is? Do you know what that is? you ever play Go? Well, I don't know. But apparently that was one of the last games where humans could still beat computers. Computers and robots were beating humans in chess. They were beating humans in poker. They were beating humans in Jeopardy. They were beating humans in checkers. They were beating them in everything. But this game Go, that's where humans were still doing well. And I, I, I was surprised because I never even heard of it. Uh, But even that seems minor compared with last year when Google's AI solved a molecular biology problem that had confounded scientists for decades. That's in the New York Times. Think of that. We're now in an era, we're now in an age where computers are solving scientific problems that scientists, human scientists, can't solve. Can't solve. So just going back to this Torres piece in the Washington Post. Um, advances in computer science will lead to systems that will increasingly general 
with increasingly general levels of intelligence, algorithms capable of solving complex problems in multiple domains. Imagine a single algorithm that could beat a chess grandmaster but could also write a novel, compose a catchy melody, and drive a a car through city traffic. Well, I hope they don't come up with an algorithm or a computer that can host a radio show. Although I guess on some stations, all you'd have to do is program, uh, you know, inflation is out of control uh, and Joe Biden is a a dotard and just put that on repeat. And maybe that would be an approximation of some of the hosts you hear on other stations. According to a 2014 survey of experts, there's a 50 percent chance, one out of two for those of us that attended New York City public schools. There's a 50% chance human-level machine intelligence is reached by 2050. That's right around the corner. That's 30 years from now. And a 90% chance that it's reached by 2075. Another study from the Global Catastrophic Risk Institute found at least 72 projects around the world with the express aim of creating an artificial general intelligence. That's the stepping stone to artificial superintelligence, which would not just perform as well as humans in every domain of interest, but far exceed our best abilities. The success of any one of these projects would be the most significant event in human history. Suddenly, our species would be joined on the planet by something more intelligent than us. The benefits are easily imagined. We could, we could maybe see an artificial intelligence help cure super diseases like cancer or Alzheimer's or find a way to clean up the environment. But the arguments for why uh, an ASI, artificial superintelligence, might destroy us are strong, too. And then I didn't even know Torres was going to mention this when I started reading the article. He mentions the Terminator as well. Sure, and there was uh, this is a big plot point in the most recent season of the Orville as well. And again, I, I don't want to take all of my science knowledge from science fiction. That's why I do try to turn to people that are a little more scholarly than me. And this fella, this uh, this fella, Emil Torres, is pretty accomplished and taken kind of seriously. So maybe he won't react as hyperbolically as I am, which I base my knowledge of what to be afraid of on Terminator movies and Star Trek episodes. And maybe that's not a well-rounded position when it comes to science. But I think it's pretty frightening. This is what he says. Surely no research organization would design a malicious Terminator-style ASI hell-bent on destroying humanity, right? Unfortunately, that's not the worry. If we're all wiped out by an ASI, it will almost certainly be an accident. Because ASI's cognitive architectures may be fundamentally different than ours, they are perhaps the most unpredictable thing in our future. Consider those AIs already beating humans at games. In 2018, one algorithm playing the Atari game Hubert won by exploiting a loophole no human player is ever believed to have uncovered. Let that sink in. Another program became an expert at digital hide-and-seek thanks to a strategy researchers never saw coming. If we can't anticipate what algorithms playing children's games will do, how can we be confident about the actions of a machine with problem-solving skills far above humanity's. 
What if we program an ASI to establish world peace and it hacks government systems to launch every nuclear weapon on the planet, reasoning that if no humans exist, there can be no more war? Yes, we could program it explicitly not to do that, but what about its plan B? And as Torres writes, and I got to tell you, I was thinking about this all day yesterday, and I find this so frightening and so well-reasoned, and I'd love for someone out there to call in and reassure me that we're not going to go extinct because we invent a machine or a super intelligence that causes our extinction. Please, 800-848-9222. Or you can also weigh in as to whether you share my concerns, 800-848-9222. Really? There are an interminable number of ways an ASI might solve global problems that have catastrophically bad consequences. For any given set of restrictions on the ASI's behavior, no matter how exhaustive clever theorists using their merely human-level intelligence can often find ways of things going very wrong, you can bet that an ASI could think of more. And as for shutting down, a destructive ASI. A sufficiently intelligent system should quickly recognize that one way to never achieve the goals it has been assigned to is to stop existing. It's, again, uh, it's it's 2001 A Space Odyssey all over again when they try to unplug, uh, when they try to unplug how. Logic dictates that this ASI try everything it can to keep us from unplugging it. It's unclear. Yeah, I'm reading from this Washington Post piece now. I, I, I know that maybe that's confusing to people that I just inject my own commentary and then I read the piece and then inject my own commentary. It's tough to know where my commentary begins in the Washington Post piece. And tough, tough. Uh, I actually do that intentionally, so maybe you'll get fooled into thinking some of the comment, some of the material that someone brighter than me has written is actually stuff that I've come up with. But it's unclear. Humanity will ever be prepared for superintelligence. But we're certainly not ready now. With all our global instability and our still nascent grasp on technology, you throw in ASI into the mix, and that is like lighting a match next to a fireworks factory. Research on artificial intelligence according to Torres, and I agree, must slow down or even pause. And if researchers won't make this decision, governments should make it for them. Some of these researchers have explicitly dismissed worries that advanced artificial intelligence could be dangerous, and they might be right. It might turn out that any caution is just talking moonshine and that ASI is totally benign or even entirely impossible. After all, I can't predict the future. The problem is, neither can they. I'd love to know your view on this, because Drudge, uh, the Drudge Report, 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, Drudge linked to two columns on this. He linked to the column I just read from you, in the, for you in the Washington Post, and another one that I'm not going to read, but it makes some similar points. It's from... Um, MSN uh, news or the intelligence or I don't know. I think that's news. I don't know what it is, but it's some some news source. And the headline in an opinion piece by Eric Levitz is why effective altruists 
fear the AI apocalypse. And I am one of the people that is doing some of the fearing. Are you? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. There's one, two, three, four, five open lines. Are you as afraid of uh, the artificial intelligence future as I am? 800-848-9222. Alex Barnard is uh, is here. Uh, go ahead. Pull up a microphone, Mr. Alex Barnard. Well, um, I actually do kind of feel strongly about this uh, this topic um, of artificial intelligence. And uh, I kind of liken it to the, the climate change, um, you know, problem that we're having i think the problem is that a lot of people like you said like researchers don't see that there is an issue with the whole notion of artificial intelligence possibly killing us in the future and are just willing to dismiss it in the uh pursuit of research and along the same vein i think a lot of companies just want to continue industrializing this you know the world and uh perhaps you know polluting and everything in order to uh i I honestly well i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say here but along the same veins yeah i know well i I just think it they're both things that governments should do a little more to curb all right so should should they suspend or pause artificial intelligence research as oh, yeah, uh, Torres is All right, well, absolutely. I think we're on the I think we're on the same page. 800-848-9222. What do you think? Eddie is in Nassau County. Hello, Eddie. An Einsteinian physicist, so bright, developed the time travel theorem of light. He set off, they say, in a relative way and returned on the previous night. Thank you. 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. I think listening to some of the callers today, my my position might be turned around a little bit, right? So I started the show with one position, and now I'm thinking that if only we had callers with artificial superintelligence, maybe that would make for a more productive exchange for people to listen to. I don't know. Help prove me wrong. If there's any humans out there that have anything intelligent to say, 800-848-9222. Brian is in Michigan. Hello, Brian. Hey, boy. You, this uh, I can't believe I got you in. I'm up here on 200 miles north of uh, Detroit on Lake Huron. Can you hear me? I hear you, yes. Can Isn't you hear me? Something? It's Yeah, it's crystal clear. It's unbelievable. It's a radio waves. But anyway, artificial intelligence is robots. and. I'm not a frantic guy, but, man, the way these robots can move now is just amazing. I'm thrilled with it. But what if you put a devious package together like those sci-fi movies you're talking about and one of these knuckleheads in this country gets control of one of them and just lets it loose? And also I'm worried about these drones, too. i got to be honest with you. I worked naval intelligence, and we were running drones way back in the 70s. But... Some bad people are going to get a hold of some of these things and do some bad things to people. All right. Well, so what do we do about it, Brian? I really don't know. I'm excited like you are. So it's a thrill in one way, but we're looking at both sides of the thing. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I really don't know. But I, I, I just, when I watch some of the videos on these robots, 
and how they can maneuver now, it, that does get me going because these things, they, these are some badass things. They can move around, uh, and then you put this intelligence to it, and then you get the bad minds behind it with devious uh, thoughts, and eh, I just think it's a matter of time, really. Well, that's the thing. As I said, by 2050, there's a 50-50 chance that they're going to surpass human intelligence. And by 2075, there's a 90% chance. I got an email here. I'm not going to mention this person's name, but uh, this person's name. But he writes, I have certification in AI from MIT and Harvard. I can tell you crazy stuff about AI. And then he says, sends me a link. This is a great, fun documentary. Please watch regarding Go. That's that game I'm not familiar with. Maybe I'll watch that at the top of the hour. And yes, AI will surpass human intellect eventually. Combined with quantum computing, there will be a point within 100 years where a single computer will have more cognitive capability than the entirety of humanity combined. Now, this, in fairness, is just a random guy that emailed me. So you know take that with a grain grain of salt but he says carmine may see this world i am not afraid well look whether i'm here in 100 years or not and odds are i won't be um i still would like the world not to be destroyed by some artificial superintelligence call me crazy the artificial superintelligence certainly would be and you know what it is the thing the thing is here Let's say my concerns and Torres's concerns and Eric Levitz's concerns are all reasonable, right? What do we do? Um, Torres at least offers the concrete proposal, which Alex Barnard has endorsed, of having governments suspend and or pause AI or a super ASI research. But... So I guess that's the move, right? I mean, if you share my view, that is the logical move. But help reassure me. Tell me it's going to be okay. That's all I'm looking for. Maxine is in Manhattan. Hello, Maxine. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I was watching um, uh, YouTube uh, with these two gentlemen, very educated, one of them who had conducted a survey research um, working with people who did remote viewing, and they looked into the future, 2050, 2060, where they said, our people, Earth, um, the United States, would be living in more peaceful times. People would be living in more uh, smaller communities. However, there would be a more advanced race than we humans, a higher race. So I believe that's talking about um, AI. And Stephen Hawking always said his biggest concern was artificial intelligence. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, uh, I, I agree with him. And so what do we do about it? I don't know if, if, if it can be stopped or halted. Like, for instance, with looking into these years with these people who did remote viewing of 2050, 2060, that the times were more peaceful. It took a great deal to arrive at those times, and where these remote viewers were saying that Earth, um, um, no, the United States wouldn't be the same um, huge power that it had been, and people lived in a different way, and also even healthcare 
and hospitals were different, where they were run through the uh, matrix. So I think it's kind of inevitable. I also think having somebody, if you could, as a guest, like Ray Kurzweil, of course, he's into transhumanism, as I'm sure you know. He might be a very interesting person to have this discussion with if somehow you were able to have him on. I, I would like to say that um, I, too, as you wish that they that AI would not take over, that that would not be a, a, a race that would um, trump we as a human race. But um, and it concerns me greatly. But I don't know if we will be able to avoid it. Yeah, uh, Maxine, I, I think we're on the same page. That's a great suggestion on uh, Ray Kurzweil. Actually, he's a bright guy and a graduate of Martin Van Buren High School, where they only have eight graduates. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Uh, I'm looking at something here from the Department of Defense, which basically welcomes. Craig Martell, he's the chief AI officer at the uh, DOD, Department of Defense over at the Pentagon, right? And he's talking about how AI needs to be put in place to be able to compete with Russia or China for our weapon systems. Because right now, if you don't use the AI, we lose our edge to be able to compete. Because if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. I mean, that's basically it. You, you got Russia, you got China, you got North Korea, you got all these other countries that are using AI in their weapon systems. Things like Israel's Iron Dome, that uses a lot of AI to predict the paths of uh, missiles that are incoming, right? So for ships to be able to defend themselves, even tanks to be able to fire off a rocket to shoot down a missile that's to kill a tank, we have that now in our vehicles, and it has to be there. Mm. But the crazy thing is, they're going to be using AI in the Department of Defense to also break down barriers uh, and, and other issues. So I think they're going to be using it for politics, it looks like. So, Mike, I guess what you're saying is that what Alex Barnard and Emil Torres and Frank Morano are saying, that governments should consider a suspension of artificial superintelligence research that's unwise and imprudent because other governments are not suspending it. They're only going forward. Yep, and not only that, you know, it, it's going full swing. Uh, I remember a few months back, I, I met some kids who were uh, taking part in a DARPA conference on AI over, uh, you know, over at Cornell. So, you know, I, we're doing it all the time. You know, they got to do it because if we don't compete, there's going to be somebody else who does it. Uh, so, are, that could be keep, the end of it. Keeping in mind what you just said, are you concerned that one day one of these artificial superintelligence um, devices or machines or consciousnesses, consciousness, conscious nine, whatever, uh, one of these art- ASIs could cause human extinction. It's already there. And here's the other thing. Well, human extinction is not already there. Well, no, it's not already there. I mean, but, you know, the, the, the AI controlling weapon systems and other things, that's already there. That already exists. No, no, I understand that. Scarier. I understand. Right. Yeah. But, but are you concerned about ASI causing human extinction? Not really. Uh, it, it's there. It exists, and it's something that, that you know, if, if you're not going to be able to do that, then you could be staying up all night. Well, which is kind of good for you because then more people listen. <laughs> That's very funny, Mike. I like that. I mean, I'm glad you ended on a humorous note. Uh, that does nothing to reassure me. Everything he said does nothing to reassure me. 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. Uh, first thing, you never heard of the game Go? 
No. No, That's I've never heard of it. Unbelievable, Frank. You're, you're such an intellectual. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, first of all, I'm not nearly as much of an intellectual as most people think I am. Second, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm surprised no. as well. Maybe it's, maybe it was it was 1970. I was 13, and it was like everyone was into chess, and then suddenly the cooler thing was to be into go. So yeah, I'm lo- was, I'm uh, looking at it yeah. on uh, I'm look I just looked it up online. It looks a little bit like Chinese checkers, but I've never played this. I don't know how to play. Right. I don't know what it is. Right. That's a, that's a put, that's a put down. Don't do don't do the, the comparison to the Chinese checkers. It's it's much more of a elevated. Right. I'm just saying it, it looks like that. But think, just, think of it as being more complex than chess. Okay. So anyway, um, yeah, Fred, I, I'm I'm gonna go with the old theory of uh, the 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 billion. You know, I'm reassured that the billionaires of the world will not let the world be destroyed. That the, that the, that always reassures me. And then there's uh. You know, cause they they, they want to live in the world too, and then there's the theory. Uh, on the last point was that um you, you get your the, the guy who called just said Mike was it? He said um well no or you, I'm sorry, you made the point. You have this fear. Okay, maybe it's from the movie 2001. Hal was going to destroy mankind, but why can't we look at AI as more benevolent and not malevolent? All right. Well, they all start out that way. That's the problem. And thanks for the call, Jeff. And I will check out this game, Go. I'm going to see about maybe ordering it. Um, what is the age group? Maybe I could play this with Carmine when he's a little... Oh, whatever. I'll look this up later. But it does look cool. And I'm reading about it. And apparently it has relatively simple rules, but it's extremely complex. So it's you, And these guys never played it either. So it's been around for more than 2,500 years. Game was invented in China. See, everything's made in China. Everything. Even games. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I've actually never heard this song before, but apparently it is Selena Gomez's favorite song. 
of hers. I've heard that or say that in interviews. And uh, I am a, I'm a Selenaniac now. I'm a Selenaholic or a, a Selenator. Uh, because mostly because of this Woody Allen picture I saw her in, and now I am just loving her in this TV series that my wife are watching. Uh, my wife and I are watching Only Murders in the Building. We are one episode away from completing season ten. Excuse me, season one. There's ten episodes in the season. We've seen nine of them. This show is great. I mean, a lot of times it's very challenging to pull off comedy and mystery simultaneously. Usually you pick one or another. So it can happen. The film uh, Knives Out, for instance, with Christoph Waltz. Not Christoph Waltz. Uh, James Bond. The, whoever the last James Bond was. And, uh, and uh, Christopher Plummer was in it. Um, it was... Uh, oh, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Knives Out, that does it. That's a pretty effective blending of comedy and mystery. And this show does it. Other than that, comedy... You don't usually associate with mystery. It's usually pretty predictable. But we're really enjoying this. It's really good. So anyway, Selena Gomez. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, uh, just join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Um, so far, the email response on our uh, first hour, the uh, other side of Governor's Island, pretty mixed. Pretty mixed. A lot of suggestions. Some are helpful in terms of tweaking it for next week. But, you know, you know me, right? The more I hear people don't like something, the more I'm going to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. This, this is just an aspect of my personality that is just so juvenile. And um, it, I think you should know that. After two years, every time somebody complains about something, I double down on it. I mean, do you remember Stump Frank when we played Stump Frank? That continued for six months longer than it should have just because people complained about it. That's it. The quickest way to end a segment, say you like it. That's it. Now, um, but anyway, uh, in my incredible efforts to jeopardize my own uh, job, I had to comment on this because I appeared on the Cats at Night show, uh, which is one of the most listened to radio shows, not just in New York, but the whole the whole country, actually. Um, I appeared on the Cats at Night show on Tuesday night, and then I stayed on for one segment after I was on, and I was listening for a while. And then my um, uh, I had to deal with the service people at the car dealership that I was returning my car to, still trying to track down my key fob. I don't know what's going on with that. We're working on that. So I missed hearing... Alphonse D'Amato in his appearance on the Cats at Night show. And I have to tell you, um, I respect Senator D'Amato for the plain manner in which he speaks. And I respect his service to the people of New York State. But, and again, this is probably going to get me in trouble because I know he's a weekly contributor to the Cats at Night show. But I don't understand how Senator D'Amato goes through life treating people and speaking to people in the manner in which he does. So D'Amato does a whole um, commentary all about the FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop. And it was really informative and really interesting. And he was so passionate about it. And you, you know how they have multiple hosts on that show. One of the guys that was in studio was Rudy Washington, former deputy mayor of New York City, and of the Giuliani administration. Now, I'm going to play for you. You'll hear it. But just so you understand some of the personalities here, 
Rudy Washington is part of Giuliani World. D'Amato World is at loggerheads with Giuliani World. Uh, D'Amato is anti-anything Giuliani. And Rudy Washington asks a question. You'll hear it. And D'Amato just goes crazy. He just goes crazy. And um, I really found that Rudy Washington was trying to agree with D'Amato and maybe even further his point, even though Rudy Washington was only speculating. So listen to this and uh, and tell me what you think. I just I don't understand how D'Amato does this. And again, I'm probably going to have to have someone start my car now because D'Amato is not known as the forgive and forget type. But listen to this. This is from the Cats at Night show on uh, on Tuesday. Senator, this is Rudy, Rudy Washington. Don't leave A.G. Yep. Barr out of this. Pardon you know, me? I said don't leave A.G. Barr, Attorney General Barr, out of this. You know, I, I, I was disturbed by the fact that he had to know also. And then he, well, then he knifed Donald Trump, no, basically. No, let me tell you something. Uh, that you made up. What you're doing is guessing. I'm guessing. No, I'm guessing. Wait a minute. I'm guessing. There's nothing to substantiate your claim. Wait, uh, let me just interject here. Let me well, well, back that up a little bit. But let me just interject here. So we can't back it up. We, we don't. We don't. We have one of those. We can't rewind. Um, if anybody has a machine that can rewind, send it to us. Uh, PO Box seventeen seventy seven. But um, I'm just. I'm just joking. So listen to what you just heard there. So D'Amato rejects the premise of Rudy Washington's question. He basically says, you're just guessing. And Rudy Washington doesn't say, no, I'm not guessing. I know. He immediately says, yeah, I'm just guessing. That's it. That's all he said. And um, D'Amato could have said what I would have said if I was, you know, ever. And I've been in this position before on all sorts of radio and TV shows where somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about is speculating. And I said, well, there is no evidence of that. We'll have to see what happens. There's no evidence of that. We'll have to see what happens. Conversation over. Instead, D'Amato goes into this unhinged rant, and we just bleeped it, and I was talking over a little bit. I don't know if you heard it. But D'Amato goes and says, this is BS, and he actually curses. Now, I don't know where this guy grew up that he thinks this is an appropriate way to speak to anybody, let alone a former deputy mayor of New York City, let alone on the radio. I I just am dumbfounded that this gentleman thinks that this is an appropriate way to talk to people. When it's guessing. I'm guessing. Saying, no, I'm guessing. You're not guessing? I'm guessing. There's nothing to substantiate your claim. That's <gasps> now, now, we have an absolute irrefutable Mark Zuckerberg who said we made a mistake. He admits it. We made a mistake. We should have run with this story. But they told us there was nothing to it. This was different disinformation. And he did not, as an honorable newspaper. No, I agree with you. Rudy's agreeing with you. He did not want to do something when he was warned at the highest levels by the FBI. Uh, well, I... right? So don't go turning turning in somebody who had nothing to do with this. You just made that up. That's no, 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 you're right, Senator. I guess. I'm, he's, okay. he's the boss of the we FBI. Deal with, we don't, oh, we deal with no facts. Don't you well, think I, he knew that the FBI was suppressing this? 
You really think so? I, I, I There's a few rotten apples up. in any Wake organization. Up. There's always a you few rotten apples. You just made that up, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself. What? Ashamed? Wow. Ashamed of Shame himself? Shame on you. You think the present attorney general knows everything that the FBI does? He doesn't, unless he put them in charge of a specific investigation, etc. I'm what? mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to listen. I didn't call to listen to BS, and that's what you just gave me. I mean, you talk about bringing a bazooka to destroy an anthill. I mean, how rude. And you know what it struck me as? You know, it struck me as our, um, the, on the schoolyard, you know, all my analogies are schoolyard. But on the schoolyard, the kid that knows the group doesn't like him, in this case is Rudy Washington, because he knows that um, that Giuliani, that D'Amato hates anything, uh, you know, from Giuliani world. Rudy Washington was the kid that knows the group doesn't like him. And he is trying to get in good with the cool kid in the playground. And he says to the cool kid in the playground, hey, Mikey, you know, that's a great bike. That's the best bike here in the schoolyard. I I bet you it cost a lot. And then the kid turns to the kid that's just trying to fit in and says, well, what do you know about bicycles? You don't know what bicycles cost. You just made that up. I mean, what is with this guy? We've now seen him do this repeatedly with Peter Navarro, with Johnny Russo. It doesn't even matter who he's talking to. The guy is just unhinged. He's unhinged. And a little later in that, and I would encourage you, you can listen to the whole podcast at WABCradio.com. A little later in that interview, George Vanizelos, the former assistant director of the FBI, who's actually the one, the chief of staff at our company. So, you know, he's much higher up on, than me and D'Amato on the, uh, on the totem pole here. Uh, but he's very protective of the FBI. He challenges DeMott. First of all, he's pointing out that Rudy Washington is agreeing with him. And then later, he challenges D'Amato on what D'Amato was making up. He just made up quotes from Mark Zuckerberg that Zuckerberg never said to just to prove his point. I mean, so it's just I am I am so over Alphonse D'Amato. I have to tell you, I really am. All right. We have a first timer. Thank you. And Melvin is in Indianapolis. Hello, Melvin. Uh, yes, on the uh, the I uh, the artificial intelligence. There was a great movie came out about forty years ago, maybe fifty, called um, Forbidden Planet. Mm. Did you ever see it? Of course. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen, Walter Pigeon, uh, Robbie you the Robot. It. Absolutely. So, yeah, Robbie the Robot. But in a lot of movies, that robot. But you remember the Corel? Uh, that's the, the that's the kind of intelligence test that he gives everybody that they give everybody. Right. Yeah. It's well, been a few years happened. since I saw it. They yeah. had the invisible monster that was created by the uh, the girl's father. In his dream, the computer read the dreams of the people, mm. and it created whatever you wanted. So all the astronauts were trying to you know pick up his daughter, uh, the guy that lived on the planet, the professor. You know, they wanted to, you know, befriend his daughter there. They've been, they've been in outer space too long. And the father, in his dream, wanted to get rid of the astronauts. He didn't want any hurt. He didn't want to right. hurt them, but it was a dream. The computer read the dream, created an invisible monster, began killing the astronauts. 
That's how the entire civilization on the planet disappeared overnight. They built a computer that took your brain thought, created it into matter. So if you had hatred in your heart for your neighbor and your neighbor had hatred for you, the invisible monster would kill both of you. Overnight, the whole planet became extinct well before those astronauts ever got to the planet. Mm. Mm. That's the danger. No, well, I agree. I mean, I don't know that that specific scenario is that we have to what we have to look forward to or to dread. But I agree. This is cause for major concern. Uh, Melvin, how did you discover our show out there in Indiana? You listening on the radio or Uh, on the Internet? I'm from uh, uh, generally I get it on the on the uh, the Google machine. Oh, the Google machine. Yeah, the, the the speaker there. I'm from Brooklyn, if you could tell that. Love it. Well, what made you move and, to Indiana? Uh, you marry one of them Hoosier girls. <laughs> I guess so. But 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 if you you listen a minute, when I got here, I lived on President Street in Brooklyn on Crown Heights. I met a gentleman that lived seven doors away from me, and a year or two later, I met another gentleman that his father. And I walked up the same steps. I had the door on the left. He had the door on the oh, right. Oh, that's wild, huh? What are the chances? Uh, it seems yeah. like uh, with Brooklyn, it always works out that way. Well, wherever you go in the world, you find people from Brooklyn. That's true. That's true. Thank you, uh, Melvin. Appreciate that. And that is a great picture, Forbidden Planet. We were talking about it recently. <laughs> I haven't seen it in, in years, but um, when I was a, a child, it was one of the few tapes that I had. You know, back then, there weren't a lot of tapes that you owned so you ended up i had i don't know i guess when i was 10 um maybe a dozen tapes and i would just watch all these tapes over and over and over again and one of them was forbidden planet i love that picture but i haven't seen it probably since i was a child it was great though uh with uh, leslie nielsen in a serious role all right uh in addition to being a place where you can find out what music that we're playing on the show the um Facebook group, which is really the community behind this program, the Facebook group is a platform for people to talk about objects we cover on the show. One of the issues that we've covered a great deal on the show is ranked choice voting. And there was an article about the election in uh, Alaska. And if you haven't heard by now, um, there was a special election in Alaska yesterday and Governor, former Governor Sarah Palin was running She's been defeated, and uh, Mary Peltola has won that special election. It's only a term for a few months, so the winner only serves until January. There's going to be another election in November, and that winner, and both of these candidates are running in that election, as I understand it, that winner will serve for the entire two-year term. So this is not the most significant special election that there is. And the Democrats really didn't increase their numbers because uh, Charlie Crist, the congressman from Florida who's a Democrat, He's resigned to concentrate on his run for governor of Florida. So they lost Charlie Crist, but they gained one one congressional seat in uh, in Alaska. And as I understand it, this is the first native-born Alaskan ever to go to Congress from Alaska. So that's interesting. Jonathan Allen. So the way it worked, let me explain to you how this worked in Alaska, and I'll give you my take and how this is relevant. Um, Alaska has adopted what I consider just a bizarre system. And I I say this as a proponent of ranked choice voting. What they did was they have a first round 
And in the election, the first round is simple. Vote for who you want. Okay. Just vote for who you want. You like Kenneth? Vote for Kenneth. You like Matt Blaze? Vote for Matt Blaze. Okay. Whoever you want. Then the top four candidates advance. I don't remember if it's four or uh, five. It's uh, four. Yeah. The top four candidates advance to the next round. And then in that round, they use ranked choice voting. Uh, Jonathan Allen, a senior reporter, senior politics reporter for NBC News, explained how it works. Um, it was a long shot, although the ranked choice voting system that they're using really um, you know, puts an emphasis in a, in a way that the elections we normally watch uh, don't on um, on voters being able to stop somebody from getting to Congress. And in the case of Sarah Palin, I think that's what Alaska voters uh, basically said in this case. Uh, these candidates are going to be on the ballot again in November. Um, we're going to go through this process again. Uh, we'll see if they have the same view after a few months of uh, seeing uh, Paul Tola in the, in the House of Representatives. Um, but uh, it will be interesting to watch. You know, One of the benefits of this system to those who who like it is that you you have the ability as a voter really to, as I said before, kind of cancel somebody you don't think should be in office. Now, um, the reason, so Stewart posts this in the Facebook group. Frank Moreno has spoken a great deal on being a proponent of ranked choice voting. Below is an article on ranked choice voting in Alaska, and he links to the article. I said, to be clear, I am not for this Alaska system. And here's why. It's so confusing. If you want to, I'm all for ranked choice voting. Let's have ranked choice voting. It'll produce more Democratic outcomes, and it saves the cost of a second election. Ranked choice voting used to be called instant runoff voting. That's why it's so great. You don't have to have a second round. And this whole top four system is totally discriminatory towards minor party and independent candidates because in no top four system are you going to see – uh, as long as the Republicans and Democrats are running people, you're not going to see any third party make it to the next round. So what do the Greens do? What do the Libertarians do? What do the Socialists do? What do the people that want a third party alternative do? They have no option. And then just to make it even more confusing, they say, oh, by the way, you know how you voted in that last round? Forget everything about that. Now you got to rank your choices, and we're going with ranked choice voting. It makes no sense. There's a reason that there are 150 democracies in this country, excuse me, in this world, and not one of them outside the United States uses ranked choice voting. The only reason Alaska did this, and the reason I'm mentioning this is because Nevada is now thinking about doing this. The only reason Alaska did this is because there's a very wealthy woman that is proposing this and pushing for it and paying for campaigns to get this on the ballot in state after state. This is a bad system. My system is ranked choice voting with nonpartisan elections like we have in New York City for special elections. That's how it should be done. All right. 800-848-922. If you want to comment, it's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Jesus Jones. This is another song that's sort of um, Cold War themed. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'll take your calls in uh, just a moment. It's 800-848-9222. You find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. It's uh, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. I, by the way, am um, convinced that the Twitter algorithm is making it so that my tweets are not coming up in people's feeds. And I think unless you, I think I am being shadow banned because I used to get all sorts of likes, all sorts of retweets, all sorts of reactions to whatever I was tweeting about. Didn't matter what it was. And then all of a sudden, the Russia-Ukraine war breaks out and I start tweeting things that are critical of Vladimir Zelensky and the narrative of the Zelensky government. And all of a sudden, oh, now instead of getting 20 reactions, I get one, two, unless somebody with a high Twitter account retweets me. So something changed. I'm not saying it was because of the Russia-Ukraine situation, but something changed. So if you want to help me fight back against the Twitter algorithm, follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano and retweet what I'm doing, even if you don't agree with it, just for the sake of fighting back at that algorithm. Also on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. You can email me, Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Let me know how much you enjoyed the um, King of the Hill segment in the first hour or if you have a contrary view. Coming up, we have the AC Report and Brian Kilmeade. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Those of you that are holding, if you uh, want to continue to hold, I will get to you. I just got to bring this to people's attention for about three minutes. And then uh, if you're kind enough to hold, I will get to you. I appreciate your patience. Now, um, you ever read the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Okay. Uh, it's a great book. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it's very funny. It's science fiction but it's also um, great comedy. It's it's just wonderful. And uh, there are these, if I'm remembering the book correctly, and I haven't read the book in many years, but there are these um, philosophers and inventors. One is named Vroom Fondle. One is named Magic Thighs. And they invent, if if I remember the story correctly, they invent the smartest computer in the history of civilization. Talk about artificial intelligence. This was not just artificial intelligence. This was artificial superintelligence. This wasn't just artificial superintelligence. This was artificial super-duper intelligence. The computer's name, appropriately enough, Deep Thought. How's that for a name? Now, they invent this computer to come up with the, the answer. What answer? The ultimate answer. What ultimate answer? The ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. Now, I'm not going to spoil this for you, but this computer comes up with the answer. 
to life, the universe, and everything. And the answer is so incredibly disappointing. And here, the descendants, it takes thousands of years for this computer to come up with the answer. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to read the book. But the answer is so underwhelming. It's anticlimactic. It's more anticlimactic than Rifkin's Festival, that Woody Allen picture that I just saw. And these guys say, oh, well, what are we going to do with this? I mean, nobody's going to care if we tell them that this is the answer. We can't go on any of the talk shows, or it's British, so they call it chat shows. We can't go on any of the chat shows and talk about this if we say this is the answer. And they say, and this is one of the truest things I've ever heard anybody say, even though these are fictional characters. They say, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is just something that sounds good. Now, why has that been in my head for the last seven days? Here's why. Because of the state of California. The state of California, God bless them, they they don't allow practicality or economic reality or, I don't know, um, (laughs) common sense to dictate anything they do over there. At the end of the day, the politicians in the state of California are just looking to do something that sounds good. And that is precisely what they did last week with this new regulation on gasoline-powered vehicles. Have you heard about this? I'm betting you have. On Thursday, a week ago, California announced that it would ban the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles starting in the year 2035. Now, this is a big deal because that's only 13 years from now. The announcement from the most populous state in the United States is um, really something. The This is a state that a lot of people consider the center of car culture. You ever go to L.A.? People, There's no carpooling. One car per person. Everybody sits out there. If you've ever seen the Steve Martin picture, L.A. story, that's a pretty good approximation of what traffic is like in Los Angeles. And it's like that all over the state. It's a very car-heavy culture. I was in Los Angeles about 22 years ago, and uh, I was there with my mom. And we took the bus and the train everywhere. We were the only people on the bus and the train. We'd walk around. We are the only people walking around. Who, you know who else we saw in California 22 years ago on the street just randomly? Dominic Carter. Because he's from New York, too, and that's what you do from New York. You walk around. <laughs> Everyone else is in cars. But anyway, so uh, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. So anything they do is influential. California's influence exceeds far beyond its own state boundaries. When they adopted tailpipe emission standards, 17 other states followed suit. Already, other states are planning to implement this gas car ban or similar regulations, including Washington State, Oregon, Massachusetts, and New York. Virginia, really interesting. Virginia actually passed a law in 2021 to align its emission standards with California's. So as it stands now, they could mimic the ban on new gas-powered cars unless the legislature intervenes. By the way, can you imagine a state doing that? 
just throwing their hands up on any issue, forgetting about cars. It could make it about abortion or uh, health care, you know, health care policy or whatever, uh, anything, guns, and say, well, we're going to do whatever California does. I mean, what's the point of federalism if you're just going to throw up your hands and say, we'll do whatever that state does? That doesn't strike me as a wise way to govern, but anyway, maybe that's why I don't live in California, uh, in uh, Virginia. So um, Glenn Youngkin, by the way, the new governor, who uh, Brian Kilmeade, who's joining us in an hour and 20 minutes, insists is going to be a presidential candidate in 2024. Glenn Youngkin was on uh, Tucker Carlson's show on the Fox News Channel. He's totally opposed to this. He wants Virginia to do away with this uh, following California towards banning electric, uh, banning gas-powered vehicles. Here was Governor Youngkin on Tucker Carlson's show uh, a day or two ago. When Virginians elected me governor last year, they wanted to put a stop to an effort from the previous Democratic-led administration to turn Virginia into California. Well, little, little did they know that they had signed legislation and, and tied Virginia to decisions that are going to be made in California. So not only did they pick the, a state that has demonstrated it has no idea how to run itself, to tie itself to, but they abdicated their responsibility to serve Virginians. And so we find ourselves today with this ludicrous law that Virginia has to follow California's laws. And so we're going to go to work and stop this because Virginians should be making decisions for Virginians. And that's why I was elected governor last year to stop a government that was very comfortable telling people what to do all the time and forgetting that we're here, in fact, to make our own decisions. Freedom, in fact, matters in Virginia. That's why parents make decisions about whether kids wear masks today. That's why people can make a decision about whether they want to get a vaccine or not. And I'm going to go to work to make sure they can decide what kind of car they want to buy. I got to tell you, I, I found him pretty convincing there. But anyway, um, California's new rules were issued by the California Air Resources Board, but they still have to be approved by the Environmental Protection Agency. The policy will not ban people from continuing to drive gas cars after 2035 or from buying them and selling them on the used car market after 2035. More than 16% of cars sold in California in 2022 were zero emissions vehicles. The proposed rules establish a credit system for automakers supplying California car dealerships. I want to make this very clear because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation there. There's a lot of people reacting without understanding the facts. So automakers will have to meet benchmarks along the way. By 2026, 35% of sales must consist of zero emission vehicles. By 2030, 68%. By 2035, 100%. No more than a fifth of the new cars produced in 2035 can be plug-in hybrids. They'll also need to implement long-lasting and recyclable batteries. If an automaker fails to hit the benchmark, it will have to obtain credits from another manufacturer who exceeded their quota. They can also be fined $20,000 per vehicle sold in violation of the target. Make sense? Got it? Okay. So it's like a carrot-and-stick approach. I know some people get upset when I use that term, but that's the reality. Leanna Randolph the chair of the California Air Resources Board, said the rule will lead to a 50% reduction in pollution from cars and light trucks by 2040. So um, let's look at what both sides are saying. What the right is saying, you, you already know, right? You could see, see people going crazy. 
The right is very critical of this, saying it will harm working class Americans and strain California's power grid. They're also saying, and I've heard John Katsimatidis, who's in the oil business, and he knows a thing or two about this, not just on the radio, but I've seen him on Fox Business and Fox News talking about this. People are saying this is a gift to China because China makes so many of the batteries that these electric cars run on. So would we, or do we really want to be furthering our codependency on our on the Chinese economy right now when there are all these points of contention with China. Other people are saying that electric vehicles, and this is kind of where I am, are not ready for mass adoption. Now, I am an, an environmentalist. I am very concerned about pollution. I'm very concerned about greenhouse gas emissions. I think uh, people that think climate change is a Chinese hoax are out to lunch, quite frankly. That being said, um, this is this is so stupid to do this at this juncture before the country is ready and before society is ready. In Newsweek, Jonathan Tobin said the news uh, of, of this gas car ban was a blow to the working class and a gift to China. This is what he wrote. The big losers will be poor and working class Americans. Car companies will adjust to whatever rules the government sets and pass on the cost to consumers. He's exactly right. Even considering the massive federal subsidies that, while still enriching their manufacturers and investors, artificially depress their exorbitant costs, electric cars are far more expensive than gas-powered ones. Exactly right. Normal person cannot afford a gas-powered car. They're not going to be able to do it by 2026 either. Washington Post, not exactly considered a bastion of right-wingerism. Washington Post, Henry Olson, says the policy will fail because electric cars aren't advantageous for consumers yet. It's exactly right. In FoxNews.com, Tom Del Beccaro said Gavin Newsom is trying to build a presidential platform on a broken set of promises. So what, what the left is saying, they support this policy by and large, though some worry about the ways that it could fail. Many welcome California accelerating the national adoption of electric cars. Others argue that this policy is a game changer for the planet. Washington Post, Eugene Robinson said California is speeding up the future of cars. In Slate, Natash Pawa said the ban on gas cars can't fail. Oh, can't it? Uh, The New York Times, Lisa Friedman and Brad Plumer said there are still legal issues to consider. And uh, she's right about that, because under the Clean Air Act, California is allowed to set stricter rules on vehicle emissions than the federal government, and other states are allowed to adopt California's rules if they choose. But California can enforce its rules once it receives a waiver from the EPA. So um, there are a lot of other – other states may take more time, you know. Um, There is some major risk with this policy. Now, some may say California has earned the right to lead and it has the backing of the auto industry. Of course it does, right? Anything, any new product that they can pass on the cost to consumers. Demand for electric vehicles is already rising. And uh, I think the better thing to do if you're California or Virginia or New York, if you want to encourage this, you encourage it through tax incentives, There's no reason to go this crazy and ban gas-powered vehicles by 2035, ban new gas-powered vehicles by 2035. This makes no sense. 
unless you're Vroom Fondle and Magic Thighs and you're looking only for something that sounds good. And that's where our intrepid young governor, Gavin Newsom, the ex-husband of Kimberly Guilfoyle, is trying to do this here. Gavin Newsom is trying to use this as a national platform to run for president in 2024, 2028. It's as simple as that. It's all about politics. He is not at all. He's not going to be in the state of California 2035. He's going to be, you know, I don't know, on an island somewhere or, uh, you know, finishing his second term as president, whatever. He's not going to be in California. He's not going to care that consumers can't afford these vehicles. But here's the problem. Gavin Newsom and the people that implemented this policy in California are essentially saying to everybody, get rid of your gas-powered vehicles and instead get an electric car. Plug it in to the nearest outlet. Well, now it turns out that California's energy infrastructure, the power grid, is already so overwhelmed that now... Governor Newsom, the man who just signed a law that will mandate in, you know, a few years that new car drivers have to plug in their car, he's saying, unplug your cars, unplug everything. Californians need to reduce electricity usage. You heard about perhaps that flex alert that was put out earlier today by the ISO, which is the California Independent System Operator. Something just fancy way of saying those are the folks that keep the lights on. And the flex alert just asks you if you can do a little bit more. Uh, We voluntarily ask you to do a little bit more to help us get through the next week or so. Uh, To turn, interestingly, up a little bit the thermostat at home to 78 degrees try to pre-cool earlier in the day the the home uh try not to use uh, too much electricity in those key hours and the key hours are between 4 p.m and 9 p.m uh in the evening try to reduce your consumption to the extent possible Uh, if you're not home it's a holiday weekend labor day weekend and you're out enjoying yourself Uh, We encourage you, before you leave home, if you can turn uh, those thermostats up to 85 degrees. That would also help reduce demand, particularly with so many automatic uh, thermostats that we all have and enjoy. Uh, We want to make sure, again, we're not using unnecessarily and consuming unnecessarily uh, too much electricity. So you heard that correctly. The man that just signed legislation mandating that you will eventually have to plug in your vehicle is asking the citizens of state of his state to reduce electricity usage. Now, here's the other problem from an environmental perspective. And if you want to comment, you're welcome to 800-848-9222. Here's the problem from an environmental perspective. The, um, the mineral, aside from the fact that we're already going to put more of a strain on the existing California grid, the minerals necessary to meet the demand for electric vehicles are already setting off a race to mine the ocean floor, which is a new environmental issue that nobody is talking about that we're going to have to navigate. You are going to see these automakers. You're going to see China, the United States, India racing to get all of these minerals from the ocean floor and eventually to space. That's one of the reasons you're seeing this new space race. And a surge in production of electric vehicles could push the price down, but it could also force prices higher. 
because if it exacerbates production bottlenecks that the industry is already facing. Those prices, by the way, I was in a car dealership yesterday. I looked around at some of the electric vehicles to see you know, where we were. The average electric vehicle sells for about $66,000. That's compared to about 48000 for your average gas-powered vehicle, meaning the transition will be easiest for the wealthy at a time when everything's easier for the wealthy. Lower and middle-income folks, they're already being hit hard by inflation. You make four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year, you could afford an electric vehicle. If you make what I'm making, you can't. Worse, given that most low- and middle-income people don't buy new cars, the prices of these used electric vehicles are also skyrocketing. Now, um, California's power grid, uh, part of the reason it has been crushed is due to extreme heat and wildfires, which is absolutely, I don't care what anybody says, absolutely worsened by climate change which is the problem that they're seeking to address. So I don't want to act like California is sticking their fingers in their ears and closing their eyes and burying their heads in the sand, and they don't care about what's going on. They're trying to get to the root cause of the problem, but they're doing it in a way that is a killer for consumers, and ultimately it's going to be a killer for the environment, and it's a big win for China. 800-848-9222. Received an email uh, at, uh, an hour ago. Precisely from a gentleman named Greg, who said the following, and this is not my email. You could read it for yourself. Wow. Alex Barnard can't debate. That ramble on AI from him was weirder than your debate segment. Here to redeem himself in Greg's eyes, and perhaps the Greg's that remained silent, is Alex Barnard. Well, first of all, I couldn't care less what Greg has to say. Uh, frankly, I Good couldn't care less what what anyone has to say about my debating skills. Good for you. I ha- I came in here, you know, slightly in a brain fog, shall we say. But I will say that I think you kind of stole my th- my thunder a little bit on it. But I, I think your argument against the ban on gasoline cars is sort of similar to your argument for banning research on AI. I mean, it's... It's getting to the root cause of a problem that is based in science. You know, I I just I don't see how there's any difference between that and the AI argument. Well, I mean, the difference is that there's a whole separate set of environmental issues that are caused by the increased need for the minerals in these electric vehicles. The difference also is that people have to be able to afford to buy cars to get to work and things like that. Well, then. Honestly, I mean, yeah, you win this argument again, but that I think you've seen it, it also in Tesla where they're they're coming up with, I believe, a more consumer um, priced electric car like they're, they're sort of unveiling it in the next few years or so. I think well, I hope they do. Right. And maybe yeah. this will further that. Right. Maybe because um, California and Virginia are moving and potentially New York, Massachusetts, Oregon, and and Washington are moving in that direction. Maybe they'll have to. I I just, um, it seems seems like a pretty drastic step um, instead of just kind of using the, uh, the, prodding the consumer economy and using some economic incentives to get people to try these zero emission vehicles. Right, but wouldn't banning AI research if, let's say, 
AI doesn't end up killing us? Wouldn't banning AI research also be sort of a drastic step in that maybe there is a potential benefit for us greater than the risks? Yeah, well, you know, that's fair. That's fair. Unfortunately for you, Alex, that was last hour's topic. So you're out of luck. Either way, Greg... I don't care what you have to say. Good for you. Good for you. What does Greg know? Let him, uh, let him produce a radio show. 800-848-9222. By the way, I am, uh, I am hearing that Alex Barnard's band, Lesbian Dance Theory, is working on a new uh, single, which we may or may not debut on this show. I haven't listened to it yet, and I, I will judge it with open ears. Yes, that is correct. Eight. <laughs> 800-848-9222. All right. Uh, we've got the AC report coming up in a couple of minutes. Really interesting news out of Atlantic City. If you're a New Jersey taxpayer, business is about to pick up for you. But uh, a lot of people have been patiently holding, so I want to get to uh, folks, as many folks as I can here. Sherry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sherry. Yes, good morning, Frank. Um, regarding Mr. D'Amato. Hmm? I thought I was the only one who felt this way about the way he talks to people. But I realized also with some aging parents that after a certain age, the brain doesn't filter anything. Anything goes. Whatever, they have no holding back. Whatever they had stuff in them for so many years, they couldn't say, they shouldn't say, they didn't say. They just let it all out. You know, that's interesting that you say that, Sherry, because I read an article... This is going back five or six years now, maybe more, that said almost exactly what you just said, that once you get to a certain age, it's more likely that you're going to say racist things. And they said initially people thought that, oh, that's because people came from an era, came from an age where it was okay to talk like this. But no, the research shows that the barriers in your brain, which say, you know, I shouldn't be saying these things, they erode with age. So you think that might be what we're seeing with D'Amato? Exactly. It's like, I don't care. I, I, I have nothing to, I don't have to, well, whatever, whatever I want to say goes. It, it, it's like, I don't have to worry about respecting anyone. It's what I want to say and nothing else matters. That's how I feel. And it's kind of like that with my mother, who's 90 years old. She doesn't hold anything back. It doesn't matter how it will affect anyone. That's not her problem. Thank you, Sherry. 800-848-9222. We're going to go through these rapidly because uh, I want to get to Brent Johnson and talk about what uh, what, what we learned in Atlantic City yesterday because it's really wild. Uh, Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. A couple of things that nobody's talking about with these electric cars is that they're a lot heavier than regular cars, which will break down the roads a lot quicker. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna need a lot more money put into infrastructure, and uh, the the mass of them is is a lot more than regular cars. And at lower speeds, the accidents are gonna be more deadly. Oh, you know, I didn't realize that about how I, I know nothing about cars. About how much of a difference is there between the average zero-emission electric car and the average gas-powered car in terms of weight? Uh, depending on the size of the car, anywhere from a few hundred pounds to uh, to over a thousand. Really? Okay. Well, that's pretty significant. Mike, thank you. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. 
if that's the case. And look, you know, I'm not asking Mike for footnotes here, but that's an interesting thing. I didn't know that. Joe is in Ron Konkuma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frankie boy. Uh, listen, uh, what they're not telling you also, especially with um, a friend of mine's got a Toyota, the batteries are only good for 10 years. And then when the batteries go, they just go dead. You have to replace them, and they cost over $10,000 per battery. Now, these batteries, when they go dead, where are these batteries going? Into a landfill. That I mean, and if you ever figure and calculate how much gas you use versus the 10-year mark on these batteries, it actually works out to be about the same. And one other point before you, I go, what happens if we have another hurricane and we're down without power for 10 days? What are all these electric cars going to do? Have a good night, Frank. Uh, Christine in the East Village, we'll give you the last word. Hi. I just verified with the Sierra Club that I've been donating to for years. Some information. Apparently, the ships that come from China, the 600-foot container ships, collectively use more fossil fuel than all the cars on the planet. So why don't we address that? before we go to this craziness of Green New Deal and everything else. If it's about pollution and global warming, stop the imports from China. Well, and I think that's, you know, that's an interesting suggestion. I also think, I mean, look, pollution comes from a lot of different sources, Um, you know, uh, private planes and all sorts of things. I think it's good to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I think we should all be looking at how to do that. But I think what we did here was we passed something that sounds good in the hopes that maybe society will be ready for it by then. I don't think that's a good way to govern. I don't think that's a good way to set future goals. I don't. Hey, um, you know what has happened is Atlantic City casinos are going to be have to are going to pay a bit more in taxes because of a decision that came out of a New Jersey court yesterday, Brent Johnson is all over this. He's had some great coverage for uh, NJ.com. He's going to join us exclusively straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. Well, it blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. And it blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on the promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact Maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and leave me tonight. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. Time for our weekly look at one of the most interesting communities in America, uh, perhaps the world, Atlantic City, New Jersey. And we're lucky enough to have one of New Jersey's finest journalists on with us today. He's a reporter for NJ Advanced Media's State House Bureau in Trenton, Brent Johnson. Brent, thanks for getting up early for us. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Uh, no, the pleasure is all ours. So, uh, Brent, just so folks understand uh, the bulk of the work that you do, most of your work, I guess, is covering the state legislature and the state capitol. Yeah, yeah, and Governor Murphy as well. Okay, and, you know, you tweeted a day or two ago um, a very amusing anecdote involving two of my favorite people, one I've never met and one who I know pretty well, and that's Dick Cody and Mikhail Gorbachev. You shared on Twitter a story that you had with former New Jersey Governor Dick Cody about an interaction that he had with Gorbachev. Uh, You know, I don't mean to spring this on you uh, last minute, but do you remember what he told you? Yeah, uh, he he gave me a call after uh, Mr. Gorbachev died and uh told me the story about how Gorbachev came on a speaking tour in New Jersey when he was governor uh, about, you know, uh, 20 years ago almost. And uh, he, he, was, he, he came to Trenton and he, and he visited the governor's office, the only time that a former Russian leader visited the governor's office like that. And he was about to go out to Seton Hall to do his next uh, stop on the speaking tour. And uh, Cody asked him, you know, oh, you making any money? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, they're paying me. And he said, so is capitalism good? And Gorbachev goes, yeah, capitalism is good. And uh, he said he was a very nice man, a very great interaction, and that it was good to have him in the office there. Well, that's cool. Uh, that's cool. I always love hearing about uh, interactions that different people from different walks of life uh, have with uh, with one another. That's uh, That's pretty neat. All right. Um, so the big news that people all over the region, people all over the casino world are watching is the headline story in a story that you covered for NJ.com. Atlantic City casinos are not entitled to more tax breaks, New Jersey judge says, in striking down the law. So give us the lowdown here, Brent. What's the background? Why was this in court? What was at stake here? And why did the judge rule the way he did? Yeah, at the end of last year, um, the casino industry was pushing for a law to boost a set of tax breaks that they got back in 2016. Um, about five, six years ago, the, the state of the industry was in really bad shape, and they were, they were uh, about to see possibly more casinos closed. So they passed a law that instead of taxes, the casinos would make payments every year to the city to try and help them out. Uh, you know, six years later, the the pandemic hit, and they said, you know, we need more, we need more tax breaks in order to survive. So the state legislature, including the state senate, which was run by Steve Sweeney, a South Jersey politician, um, passed this this tax break, giving them tens of thousands more dollars and tens of millions of more dollars in tax breaks every year. And the governor signed it in December. And people pushed back on it and said, you know, this this is giving special treatment to the casinos and going to hurt taxpayers because taxpayers will have to fund more of the government. And so uh, a conservative group sued saying that, you know, casinos shouldn't get special tax break treatment. And the judge sided with them uh, this week saying that, no, the Constitution, this is not this is not uh, in the state constitution, that they should not be allowed to get favorable tax treatment. And so now the state says they're going to appeal. 
um, because this law is needed. And, and critics are saying, well, the casino industry is doing a lot better than it was a few years ago, so this isn't even needed. So now, that's kind of where we're at now. So explain to folks why this was an issue to begin with. Why wouldn't um, why wouldn't the state and why wouldn't the municipality want these casinos spending as much money as much money in taxes as they could? The the argument that casinos made many years ago was that the the tax their their tax revenue was kind of iffy because of the state of the industry, and if they were able to make taxes. If they were able to make payments instead of taxes, it would it would be easier for them, mm. and make sure that the city would be able to get some sort of money with the uncertainty of the tax base. And that's pretty much what's carried in the last six years. That's how they've done it. They've made tens of millions of dollars of payments um, every quarter to the state, and that was the argument was that that at least the the state and city would be able to get this money from them instead of the uncertainty of the tax revenue. But critics argue that, you know, things have gotten a lot better for casinos um, and that they now are able to make their tax payments. And this puts an undue burden on uh, taxpayers because they then have to pay more. Um, and and uh, Steve Sweeney and a few other politicians and apparently Governor Murphy for signing the law said that this is needed because um, there's still a threat of casinos closing or, or at the very least people losing their jobs. If this law didn't go into effect, I tell you, this is so bizarre and so strange. Uh, This has got to be the first instance uh, I can remember in any state and as a longtime observer of state government of a state going to court and wanting an entity to pay less in taxes. And this has got to be a first. It, it is. It's a it's a strange story, but things like this in Atlantic City are. I think, as you mentioned, it's an unusual community, in in the sense that the, almost like Las Vegas to a much smaller scale, the casinos are the main form of economy there in many ways, and this is a city that helps run the economy of South Jersey. It's considered an economic engine down there, so it's just. It's, a, it's just a strange place in a strange city, unlike many places in the world. That, that is for sure. So you had indicated that the state is going to appeal this decision. What is the time frame? Uh, what's, uh, what's likely to be the next step in this whole process? Well, that would likely be that the state would appeal. And, and, and now you have the question of, does that mean the casinos immediately have to start uh, paying back taxes immediately? Uh, I would imagine that uh, there might be a, uh, an injunction or a court hearing to try and stop that. This, I mean, this could drag on. This has already taken eight months because this law was passed in December. Um, and so it's it's been eight, nine months since then. So I could see this dragging on for a while. The question is, what happens to this money? Um, so that's, that's immediately unclear in the interim. It's uh, going to be very, very interesting. Do we have any idea if um, the the claim by Steve Sweeney and others that these casinos would close and lay off people if they had to make the proper tax payment. Do we have any idea if that's true? Is there any objective uh, data that suggests that's true or untrue? uh, Steve Sweeney never uh, brought hard evidence to the table, although he said the casinos told him personally that they were in threat of closing and that this was the fear um, but uh, ProPublica and the press of Atlantic City did a report saying that the casino industry was already on the rebound before this law passed mm. and that um, after all the losses of the pandemic, they were starting to do better, which is true because the state reports the casino um, and gambling revenue uh, every month and, and things have improved. Um, but the, 
basically the casinos argue that it's still unstable, that there's no certainty, and that in-person gambling is still down. Hmm. But yes, uh, sports betting and online gaming revenue is up, but not as many people have been going to casinos. So no, there's never been hard evidence, but the, the, the industry is saying this is something we need, and Sweeney said we should listen to them. What do we know about this group, uh, Liberty and Prosperity, that filed the challenge to the constitutionality of this law in court? They're a conservative group, and their leader, Seth Grossman, a former congressional candidate and Atlanta County freeholder, has said they just want to make sure the state constitution is is being followed here, that the constitution does not support a single group or person getting preferential tax treatment. So they're a group that, that is conservative in nature and tries to make sure that the constitution is being followed, and that's their goal here. They think that... Um, the taxpayers of Atlantic City are being ripped off. Mm. Yeah, no, I know Seth Grossman. He, he's a little wacky, but he's an interesting guy, certainly a smart guy, as uh, eccentric as he might be. I mean, we may have to get him on this show to uh, to do a victory lap and uh, explain what his uh, motivation behind a lot of this is. But this is one of those rare issues where I could see people on the left and the right both kind of saying the same thing, which is, yeah, the casinos should pay their fair share in taxes. Yeah, it's it's I, I get it. It's it's a strange story because you don't see this many places. Uh, it's kind of something that could unite both sides of the fence, and you know, you, you, it's someone. It, it it touches on all types of things. People who care about industry and business, and people who care about good government. It's just it's it's a real fascinating story, even if you've never. You know, you know, rolled a pair of dice at at Atlantic City Casino. All right, while while I have you here, you know, uh, state government and the goings on politically in New Jersey better than anybody. You've certainly covered former New Jersey Governor uh, Chris Christie. Chris Christie ran for president, of course, in 2016, and uh, he's been very critical of uh, Donald Trump on television and in the media and elsewhere. What is the smart money saying about uh, Christie's likelihood of running for president again in 2024, whether or not Trump jumps into the race or not? You know, if I were a betting man in Atlantic City, I would say that <laughs> that Christie will run for president again. Um, you know, and you don't really see a, a downside for him. I mean, he, he's not in office. He doesn't have to give anything up. He has a platform on television. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see why he wouldn't run even if Trump got in. You know, why not? What do you have to lose? Um, and, you know, he's still a, a popular, I mean, I don't know about popular in the state, but still a figure that everybody knows and would uh, would immediately recognize, you know. So I, I definitely see that as a strong possibility. I know Governor Christie's um, father and I think his brother and I believe even his wife all did very well financially. But these days, do we know what uh, Chris Christie's primary means of making a living is? Besides his gig on ABC television, he also has a consulting firm um, uh, that does all kinds of political work. Mm. So he's actually, you know, you could argue he's doing better now than he ever he ever did in the past because he was in government for a long time as U.S. attorney and then as governor. Um, so and, and his gig on ABC keeps him uh, in the public eye, sure. gives him a platform to, to discuss uh, his views. So, yeah, he, I mean, he's still very much uh, someone who you will you will see and likely we'll see run. Obviously, New Jersey, unlike New York and a lot of other states, has term limits for their governor. Christie was term limited, and now Murphy is term limited. Uh, there's been some talk of uh, Governor Murphy running for president, whether if Biden doesn't run again in 2024 or down the line in 2028. What is the smart money? What are the Atlantic City odds makers saying about the prospect of Governor Murphy running for president? I think that's also pretty high. I mean, it's possible you could see three New Jersey candidates. You could see Booker, 
Murphy and Christie in in the primaries there. But but yeah, I mean that, that's been the people around Murphy. Uh, it's been known that think he'd be a good uh, middle of the progressive road, kind of like kind of leads both ways. He has a progressive record, and he also is not as threatening as some other progressives uh, seem that way. So if Biden doesn't run, he's definitely one of the many names who'd be considered. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that also could happen. Uh, uh, Brent Johnson will be uh, reading you in the pages of NJ.com. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's early. Maybe we'll see you down there in Atlantic City when you're placing your bets on Murphy or Christie. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Brent Johnson. Check him out in NJ.com. Uh, you can also follow him on uh, on Twitter. He has a lot of interesting tweets about uh, about New Jersey politics, including that anecdote that Gorbachev and uh, Dick, to- Dick Cody shared. You can find him on Twitter at JohnsB01. Hey, we'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Shannon, uh, 800-848-9222, open lines if you want to comment. Carol in New Jersey has been patiently holding. Hello there, Carol. Hello, hi there, Frank. You know something? Al D'Amato brings new meaning to the term nasty. The way he spoke to Rudy Washington, I mean, I would have cut him off. I, I wouldn't have stayed on the line with him. And John Cassimatidis brings him on the program all the time, and he's always nasty. Well, you know, a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, I agree with the first part of what you said, that, um, you know, he was really out of line for him to talk to Rudy Washington that way, because it's, he, right. you shouldn't talk to anybody that way. But Rudy Washington, I've met him a couple of times. I don't know him well. He's not a friend, but I've met him several times over the years. The guy is the nicest guy in the world. I know. He's smart. Know. He's nice. He's kind. He's he's gentle. So I don't know why you would treat somebody that way. Second, as much as I hate to admit it, right, because I don't think people should be talking that way to one another. Mark Siegel, who was on right after D'Amato in that particular show, really said it best, which is it was very compelling radio. 
I mean, there's a reason that I'm replaying it on this show. <laughs> it was really interesting to listen to. So I think John, um, clearly he's had some success as a radio owner. As you heard Tom Likas the other day, uh, took our station into the top 10 for the first time in 20 years. But uh, aside from that, he's been a longtime radio listener. He knows what good radio is, right? And I even know it from the notes he gives me from time to time. You're spending too much time on this subject. You're spending too much time on that interview. Maybe take a look at this. Maybe stay away from that. And he's usually on the money with that kind of thing. So I think he recognizes um, that if you have a radio show, it's boring to have everybody agree with one another, how, say how great with one everyone is, and that you, ha- you need a villain, right? So for Dominic Carter, and Rita Cosby, the villain is Stan from Queens, right? For us, it's Joseph and Parkchester, right? For for the Cats show, maybe it's Al D'Amato. <laughs> so um, I think uh, I think that's more what that's about. But and you know, it was nice to hear George Venizello stick up for not only Rudy Washington but stick up for the FBI as an institution as well. All right. Um, it was interesting hearing what uh, what's going on in Atlantic City with the taxes. I'm looking forward to being there Sunday. And uh, hopefully having the same luck at the Baccarat table that I had the last time that I was there. It is interesting as well. My wife and I were, um, you know, she's coming to this event we're having at the radio station next week. So that means we need to get a babysitter or maybe I can ask my uh, one of my parents to watch Young Carmine for a few hours. But we have a babysitter that comes during the day, and, and she's great, and she stays a few hours, and I knew her for many years. She's a great lady. But occasionally, my wife and I want to go out to dinner or go to a party, like what we're doing next week, or we have a work function, and we can't get somebody to watch the baby, so we can't go out. One of us has to stay home. That happened. That's happening tomorrow, especially now that we have one vehicle, right? But um, so my wife was is in the process of trying to hire a babysitter that can fill in on nights and on weekends and when we need just a random somebody to to fill in because we had someone nice lady we met with her and she watched Carmen a couple of times this woman is never available we give her dates three weeks in advance, a month in advance. This woman is never available. So a- after this last instance where we have an event on September 7th, um, my wife just said to me, I'm not using this lady anymore. She's never available. I'm just going to stop asking. There's no point. So I said, because a lot of friends of mine have wives or girlfriends or sisters that are always saying, well, if you ever need someone to watch Carmine, I'll watch them. And I said, well, why don't you use Gina or why don't you use this person? And Rachel says, no, I don't want to do, I don't want to use somebody that's a friend. I want to do use someone that I can definitely tell what to do because I'm paying them. Uh, if it's a friend, uh, it's, it's a little tougher to tell them and have certain expectations. Fair enough. So she has this interview. She's been interviewing people this week for this role. Yesterday, two days ago, she's talking to this woman in a, an interview for this babysitter role. And and this woman, I wasn't there for the interview, but she managed to turn off my wife like crazy. So first, my wife asks her, um, first of all, my wife said she was older, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that she you could tell she was very set in her ways and wouldn't be taking my wife's direction, right, And in my direction. And that already is a little bit of a turnoff. But then she asks this prospective babysitter, do you have any do you have any educational experience in dealing with 
children. You know, and uh, meaning, do you have an early childhood uh, degree? Did you ever work in a preschool? And this woman gives my wife the nastiest attitude. She says, no. And what should that have anything to do with it? What does that matter? And she's pushing back at my wife. Now, she could have just said, no, but, you know, I've done a lot of babysitting before. I've done that. But she was very nasty. So, uh, And then, oh, then she's citing all these two-year-olds that she has interacted with that she believes are now autistic because of vaccines that they've taken. And then that was it. She's okay. We're, we're we're done. This is over. But yesterday, she had a good conversation with a uh, a Brazilian woman that lives in our neighborhood that uh, that really impressed my wife. So we're going to have her come over and meet Carmine. And if they have a rapport, hopefully we're uh, hopefully that'll that'll work out. So we'll see what happens. But uh, very tough to um, find a good babysitter because you always have to check references and going through. Go through that whole process. That's what she's doing now in terms of uh, in terms of that. So we'll see. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Still looking for a priest for Saturday. If anyone knows somebody that's available, and I am still looking for you to contribute to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, uh, where I need your help in raising some money. A lot of the talent on the station is participating in the walk, and uh, we could really use your help in supporting my team. You're welcome to walk with me, but even if you don't want to walk, you could still make a contribution. Go to walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's walk.othersideofmidnightshow.com. Find my picture, make a donation there, and uh, even whatever amount to big help. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. is the other side of midnight can you believe it's september it's september 1st august is over oh that's depressing now i don't know why now that i mean labor day is going to be here monday summer's over it's still hot out you'd never know it but um i I guess that's one of the byproducts of climate change but um you know now you know when you're an adult you work all the time. You work 12 months a year. doesn't matter whether it's summer or whatever else. When you were a child, obviously the end of summer was super depressing because that meant the return to school, the end of summer vacation, which was a lot of fun. So I don't know why, as an adult, I still feel mm, kind of blah whenever summer ends, but uh, I certainly do. It's September 1st. It is Thursday. And do um, you know how you know you are listening to this show on a Thursday and not the weekend equivalent of this show? Because if you call me up and say, how are you? 
I'm not going to flip out and and go through a whole diatribe about how I don't answer questions about how I'm doing. What a mama Luke. Now, what I don't think that um, Curtis has an appreciation for is that when people call in and say, how are you? It's not a genuine question. They're just being polite and making small talk. Hey, still not. So do you like small talk? I have a love-hate relationship with small talk because the truth is, you may not believe this, but I am actually kind of an introvert, as a lot of people who do this on the radio are. And I don't like small talk. I find it meaningless. Now, what is small talk when we talk about it? Here's what I picture small talk being. What I picture small talk being is uh, you, you end up in a random room with somebody, right? Kind of person, maybe you're at a cigarette break at a party. Maybe um, you're on an elevator with a coworker who you've seen around the hallway, but whose name you're not sure you know, but you have to at least acknowledge them enough to, uh, because you've seen them around. Those are the circumstances when you get small talk. And then you get the, how's it going? Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Big weekend plans? Oh, yeah, we're going up to the country. Oh, where are you going? Where are you going? Oh, you going to, we're going to the Westchester. Oh, Westchester, that's nice. You have a place up there? Oh, no, 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 we, we're staying with my cousin. Oh, oh, that's great. That's great. We're in Westchester. Oh, Rye, Rye. Oh, Rye. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what are you doing for the weekend? Oh, well, uh, we're probably just staying home, running a bunch of errands. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of errands to run now that the end of summer is here. Uh, looks like uh, you'll have some nice weather for it. Oh, really? It's going to be good weather. Good, 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 good. Oh, are you, you going to hit a lot of traffic on the way up to Rye? That's what I picture as the typical small talk conversation. Now, the reason I have a love-hate re- relationship with it is because I don't care that much about any of that exchange. But that protects me from having to share more than I'm ready to share, okay? It also allows me to be polite by participating in society's way of what we're told is polite conversation. I'm not prying. I don't get on the elevator with someone whose name I may or may not remember and say, hey, tell me about the worst breakup you've ever had. Tell me about the greatest tragedy you've ever experienced in your life. So... Why are we talking about this? It's here. Small talk is here. It's in the workplace. It's at parties. It's in social functions. It's here. I came across this, um, you know, I think probably one of the better examples of small talk, even though this is sort of a European example, is from the musical, whether we're talking the Broadway show, which I've seen on Broadway is great, or the film My Fair Lady, when... Henry Higgins is training um, Ms. Doolittle to be a proper lady. One of the things that a proper lady does, at least in England, is they master the art of small talk. And that's what happens when Henry Higgins takes um, Ms. Doolittle to the races. She's a real pro when it comes to small talk. The first race was very exciting, Ms. Doolittle. I'm so sorry that you missed it. Will it rain, do you think? The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain.
But in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. <laughs> How awfully funny. <laughs> what is wrong with that young man? I bet I got it right. Smashing. Hasn't it suddenly turned chilly? I do hope we won't have any unseasonable cold spells. They bring on so much influenza, and the whole of our family is susceptible to it. That's a typical small talk interaction. A lot of talk about weather. Now, uh, I guess they didn't have motor cars, at least not widespread in those days. I've noticed traffic is big. The weather is big. If there's something that's obvious that's going on, like a construction project in the building that you're in, that becomes big. If uh, there's a problem with mosquitoes, for instance, that becomes big. But traffic and weather, those are the big small talk conversations. So I come across this article that CNBC tweeted yesterday. See, CNBC gets very good saturation on Twitter. I guarantee you nobody is is shadow banning them because I see these articles in my feed all the time, including sometimes old articles. This particular column, by the way, written by Gary Bernison, is two years old, and CNBC is just tweeting it out yesterday. This is the headline. Stop asking, how are you? That's why I that's what grabbed my attention because initially I thought Curtis Lewa wrote this. Stop asking how are you? Harvard researchers say this is what successful people do when making small talk. The column begins thus. How are you? These are the three most useless words in the world of communication. You could see why I thought Curtis Lewa wrote this, right? The person asking doesn't really want to know, and the person responding doesn't tell the truth. What follows is a lost opportunity and meaningless exchange with zero connection. Yeah, that's exactly right. But the key to making the most out of small talk, according to Harvard researchers, is to simply ask the other person follow-up questions. And I do this, and I have gotten, I think, pretty good at this which is one of the reasons this love-hate relationship that I have with small talk is maybe evolving. They did a series of experiments. Listen to this. Researchers analyzed more than 300 online conversations and found that those who were asked more meaningful follow-up questions, for example, questions that aren't how are you or what do you do, found the other person much more likable. I have learned this, and you know, people have told me this over the years. I think Dale Carnegie writes about it in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think, um, I think other folks have said similar things. When people are instructed to ask more questions, they're perceived as higher in responsiveness, an interpersonal construct that captures listening, understanding, validation, and care, the researchers write. So how do you move from tongue-tied to being a charismatic and interesting person? It depends on the question you start with, and then you can focus on the stream of follow-up questions. And it goes through seven tactics to have a meaningful conversation. I'm not going to go through all seven. If you have a view on small talk, either a tip, on how to get something meaningful out of it, or 
a view of small talk in general, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. On the talk show, Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres, obviously he's a comedian and the host of that show. She had a whole conversation with her audience about the process of small talk. Usually I love talking. I love talking to people. And uh, But, you know, last week I was at this event and I saw this woman across the room and we didn't know each other, but we caught each other's eye and we, we knew of each other because we're both in the biz. And uh, so she starts heading towards me and I'm thinking, well, here comes small talk because that's what happens when you don't know somebody. So she walks over and, uh, you know, we're like, you know, hi, hi. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And she's like, nice to meet you. And how are you? Good, good. You, how are you? Good, good, good. Are you, work, how's work? Great, work is great. Are you busy? Busy, yes. Well, it's good to be busy. Yes, we're happy to be busy, you know. This is nice, isn't it? This is a nice, uh, it is, it's nice. This is pretty the way they've decorated it. Sure is cold. Yeah, and outside or in here? Outside, yes, out, yes, there's cold everywhere. It's cold, so cold everywhere. It's winter. And, and, you know, and there were pauses in between those sentences that were longer. I'm not going to draw out for you, but, but there were... And, and she was completely comfortable with the pauses. Just complete their silence, and it was up to me to keep the conversation going. Because I'm a talk show host? Is it my job to, <laughs> to keep making the small talk? And so then, of course, we're run out of things, so then it turns to traffic, because that's what you do. It's like, you know, did you hit traffic getting here? Uh, yeah, I did. Crazy traffic. Oh, I didn't have any traffic. Oh, you didn't? Did you take Sunset? No, I cut through Cherokee. I didn't know you could cut through Cherokee. Yeah, if you cut through Cherokee, you avoid the sunset traffic. Well, I'll do that next time. <laughs> that is Ellen's recantation there of her small talk conversation is the prototypical definition of small talk. So let me give you some of the strategies that these Harvard researchers have boiled down. And then if you have strategies for improving and elevating small talk, let me hear it. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You know what I used to love about Barry Farber? There was no small talk, right? Barry Farber, if he needed something, whatever it was, he would call me and he says, well, I know you're a busy man, so in deference to your time and respect for mine, let me do as the Israelis do and be direct. And he would just say whatever it is he was calling about. It was wonderful. Wonderful. And, I mean, don't uh, misunderstand. There was no rudeness, no impoliteness. Quite the opposite. There was a lot, of, uh, a lot of tender care in between all of the conversation. But it was real conversation. So here are the couple of the strategies that the CNBC folks cite Harvard as uh, offering. One, use the ACT trick to start a connection. What's ACT? When was the last time you were in a meeting that didn't start with small talk? It's a natural way for people to connect. So start with a question that will build up a conversation that meets the ACT criteria. A is authenticity. C is there's a connection. T is there's a topic that will give them a taste of who you are. So some of those questions might be, what's your current state of mind? What are you looking forward to this week? You remind me of a celebrity, but I can't remember which one. Who's someone you relate to? See, I've used that one before. Um, usually it's, I'm being sincere. I mean, I, I'll say, you know, who do people tell you you look like? Um, that is 
pretty effective because then it opens the door to a whole conversation about the celebrity and people that have set told them that. So that's one. ACT, authenticity, connection, taste. Two, move beyond the hourly update. That What I cited, what uh, Ellen cited, the fallback for a lot of these people is like the newscast, the hourly update, traffic, sports, weather, so on. Drill this into your head. This is what the Harvard folks say. It is a horrible icebreaker. There are a few exceptions, like if it's a genuine interest of yours and your boss or colleague shares that passion. But try to move beyond those cliche topics to things that are more important and personal to you. Three, this is big. Be in the moment and observe your surroundings. Open your eyes before you open your mouth. Find something to focus on in your surroundings, like the piece of art on the wall, a quirky gadget or family picture on their desk, a race car helmet, scattered coins from various countries, whatever. There's bound to be something that'll spark small talk and help lead the conversation into unique follow-up questions. And then it gives ideas on making that transition. And this is the last one that I'll, that I'll mention and then I'd rather hear from you. 800-848-9222. Four, share some news that actually happened. If you have news, share it. I adopted a pet over the weekend. Or my six-year-old rode a bike for the first time yesterday. Believe it or not, most people actually do want to know more about others, especially if they both work at the same company. If you're new to a company and leading, to, and leading a team, for instance, Start your first meeting by going around the room and asking each person to say one interesting thing that recently happened in their lives. As a result of that momentary sharing, you've allowed everyone to feel more personally and genuinely connected with each other. The object of of meaningful talk is to be genuine and not simply make something up. Otherwise, you run the risk of not knowing how to answer follow-up questions and about something you have little or no experience with. So I'm curious what your small talk take is. Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Do you find it comforting? Do you use it as a security blanket as I do? And what are your tips on elevating small talk around the office? 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, um, I don't think it's <laughs> it's exactly uh, well, breaking I, news that you're not really a small talk guy, right? I, I was just thinking about our small talk. Between you, you and me. Yeah. And I think we don't even have small talk. We have extra small talk. <laughs> so this is the extent of our small talk. I mean, I'm going to lay it out. You'll be in the kitchen getting coffee. I'll be in the kitchen. You'll say, oh, Matt Blaze. So we meet again. And I go, yeah, here we are. Over. That's Conversation right. That's right. over. That's right. That is it. That's right. And uh, sometimes it's a struggle just to get through that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, true. I'm just here to get an M&M, get, get some tea, something, you know, something like that. That's, That's it. right. All but right. I am, no, I am an introvert. I, I, I've always said this when I was in college, I never had any game to get girls. I never talked to girls. I never did anything. I can talk to people. I can talk on the mic. But I've never been someone to start a conversation. Right. but And you're a real introvert, not like me, oh. who's a, a, an introvert masquerading as an oh, extrovert. Yeah. Right. I mean, if I know people around, like when we were at, the, at your barbecue, there were people there that I knew. 
So I was able to hold the conversation. You know, Alex was there with his girlfriend, and Jen Grodd was there, and Christian Arnold was there. So people that had something in common with. But when I don't know anyone, it's even harder because I don't know what to say to people. Yeah, your our relationship has really benefited from the fact that you work on another show the hour before our show goes on the air. So right. we don't have to worry about interacting with one another. Right. And that is a big help. True. Uh, whereas Kenneth, on the other hand here, we know his icebreaker is, do you know how handsome I am? <laughs> exactly. Have you seen this incredible haircut I've gotten? Uh, Kenneth, where do you come down on the small talk situation? I'm personally pretty extroverted, so I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> okay. That's I'll, not exactly breaking news. I'll talk to anybody about anything. I anytime. passed the homeless guy uh, coming at, uh, in the on the street here. He said, "Boy, Kenneth was just telling me how <laughs> handsome he is." <laughs> oh boy, nah. I, I I I'm a fan of small talk. To be honest, I feel like it breaks. In some cases, I feel like it breaks the. I feel like it can be awkward, but I feel like you, it can also break the awkwardness. Fair enough. Uh, now, Alex Barnard is actually, I must say, in spite of what Greg and this guy that sends me emails from a phone number, which I hate. Get an email address. Why do you email from a phone number? Text from a phone number. Email from an email address. I didn't even know that was possible. Uh, yeah, it's really annoying. Don't do it. Uh, but uh, this uh, Alex Barnard, in spite of what Greg and the 978 guy says is actually a pretty good conversationalist. Where where do you come down on the whole small talk situation? I really hate small talk. Really? I uh, am yeah, surprised. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're I pretty can't good stand at it, actually. Well, I I'm I'm good at faking. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm I'm decent at faking it. And I I gotta be honest, I um I was reminded of that time that we went to Billy Marks West. Yeah, yeah, work. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I thought I thought our conversation was a little at times a little bit small talk ish like at times there you know there were some moments where i was kind of like frank come on give me some give me a little more to well, work well, with. well why is it on me why is it on me to because keep the i i'm like ellen i'm the professional talk show host there's I all know, this pressure but, on me well no but i'm trying i'm trying to keep it going oh, but I see, I you see. know what i mean you, you're I'm saying like, i wasn't giving you anything back not right? much no I, right. I, well, that's I don't fair. think so but. that's fair in my defense that was after it was a at week. eight in the morning yeah, yeah, after 20 hours of, of doing a week, a week of radio, and you know, I'm just going to sit here with my bourbon and wonder right. why that guy who claims to own the bar is not giving me a free glass of Maker's Mark, which he right. pledged to do on the radio. And I know, it turned would have been nice. You know, it would have been. But, uh, oh, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. I, I explains why there has not been no, an additional one-on-one interaction between the two no, of us no, since no, then. No, 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 no. There will be plenty. But, I no, seriously, small talk really... I get kind of nervous about small talk. Like I get, I get, if I don't know what I, what to say about to somebody, like if I'm at a party and I'm kind of just making small talk, I'll find the earliest opportunity to bail and well, just do it. Well, what about the workplace, for instance? Because I, I, I think, you know, we're all in that position where we see people that we know work here, but we, we don't really necessarily know who they are, right? Um, what do you do if you run into one of those people? Well, I mean, I feel like I... I don't always run into them. And I'll maybe just say, hi, you know, uh, how are you doing? And then kind of just let let it be from there. But uh, if it's some – I don't really engage unless it's somebody that I know pretty well, mm-hmm. I think, when I'm here mm-hmm. at least. Um, it's – I'm kind of hard-pressed because I feel like when I when I talk to people here, it's, it's usually somebody who's uh, in a similar position, like another producer who I can kind of, you know – Talk about, oh, such and such is going on or, you know, maybe 
voice some complaints about right, yeah, working no, on this true. show. You know, you, you have the benefit of constantly being disgruntled, and you could yes. share your complaints with everybody. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's a great. That's a great way of making common cause. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, one, two, three, four, five open lines. Let me begin with Russell in North Carolina. Hello, Russell. Hey, Frank. Hey, listen. With the whole small talk thing, I think it it comes down to, well, for me, it was genetic. My father, God rest his soul, he would, I mean, he would talk to everybody. And But for me, I think it's a matter of knowing a little bit about a lot of things rather than knowing a lot about a few things. And it kind of opens you up because, you know, hey, you know a little bit about this, a little bit about that, and it kind of it opens that door, I guess. And and I guess I, I get people who don't really get into it, like my wife. Oh, my God. No, she's not a small talker at all. And So uh, give us a pro tip, Russell. I mean, obviously nobody can go to the trouble of acquiring your lifetime of knowledge. But if somebody, if you find yourself in an elevator with a, a long elevator ride with a coworker, or you're in a conference room before the meeting starts, or I was, uh, you know, stuck at this bar with only Alex Barnard, and he feels the small talk was not up to snuff, what should what should we be doing? Well, I mean, there's just it's kind of like you know, where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? You know, things like that. And and I mean, I, I guess I had to benefit because I grew up in. We moved around a lot and everything else, but but it's like, you know, there's just like little things that you can pick up on, like like pets or, or sports or, I mean, you have to just be able to like catch it. And, 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 and you know what? You know, I'll tell you something, Frank. You know, one thing that's really, to me, I like people. I actually like people and I care about people. And a lot of people don't. And so for them to connect, it's hard because they just they don't care. And I do care. And I think that's I think there's a lot of it is, is well, do you even care? I mean, and, and, and you know, they're like, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what that person thinks. And I'm like, right, but just just play along. I mean, it's, you're talking about 10 minutes of your life. Just yeah, no, along. that's fair, Russell. I guess what I'm trying to do and what these Harvard researchers, and thanks for the call, Russell, are trying to do is um, give people strategies in which they don't have to go to those old reliables that so frustrated Alex Barnard when we had our interaction and which have so duly frustrated uh, Matt Blaze and I that we now – will do whatever it takes to avoid leaving at the same time so that we can avoid the small talky elevator ride down to the lobby is how do you elevate small to, small talk to substantive talk that's short, casual, meaningful and that leaves people with a good impression about you because obviously especially in the workplace but even at a bar or wherever else you want the people that you interact with to be fond of you. Uh, and not all of us are, are bre- blessed with um, Kenneth's good looks. And as you saw with Sid Rosenberg, sometimes even those of us that are blessed with Kenneth's good looks, they go away in 38 years. So you can't count on that. 800-848-9222. This is one other strategy that the Harvard people mentioned. And then we'll do the $1,000 Minute and Brian Kilmeade. Talk early. Whether you're meeting in person or dialing in for a conference call, talk early. If you wait, two things will probably happen. One, someone else will make the comment you wanted to make. And two, your more talkative colleagues will take over with their own follow-up questions. That's a good one. 
That's a good one. Original Rick in New Jersey has been patiently holding. Hello, Original Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. 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 Um, About this small talk, as a uh, backstage Broadway doorman, I had to really learn the art of small talk because, you know, you you meet everyone and, and you can't get heavy with them. So, but very quickly, that can go sour because it's the person who's answering that really has to, like ping pong, they have to give it back to you and keep it on the table. I remember talking with uh, Yoko Ono, and we were talking, and we, I, I said, oh, I remember as a, a teenager getting one of your albums as a birthday present. It was one of my favorite albums. She goes, oh, which one was that? And I said, oh, it's the one where you were completely naked on the cover. <laughs> and, and that it killed it right there, Frank. It, she stopped, and the small talk was over. And I- it's like... <laughs> You know, I mean, it depends on the other person has to know how to give it back to you and, and be able to take the serve you give. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a pro tip. That's a good one. Maybe don't comment on uh, if you're meeting someone for the first time, don't comment on their nudity. Uh, that that could be that could make sense. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Jackson, New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, good morning to you. Uh, talking about small talk, uh, I'm in the process of uh, waiting for a kidney transplant. And uh, I was supposed to get it last January. And uh, a lot of the people around me, of course, were aware of this. And uh, it uh, fell through for one reason or another. And I'm in the process of waiting to get it again. But it's become a constant small talk. Uh, when I meet people uh, in the community, et cetera, that's the conversation. Uh, and believe it or not, it leads to a lot of other conversation. But uh, that seems to be the centerpiece. Well, that, and, no, uh, that uh, I can understand that. Uh, that is that makes sense. Joe, do you have email? Yes, I do. Yeah, can you email me? Uh, so uh, I'm trying to round up some kidneys. We have three or four people in our audience that I interact with regularly that need kidneys. I'm trying to get them kidneys. If I can get you one too, I'd like to do that. So uh, email me your information and we can and your blood type and we can correspond. Okay. Oh my God! Thank you so much. All right, no promises. You're not getting mine, but uh, but uh, I'll work on getting you somebody else. I'll take anybody's. All right, thank you. Yeah, so my email is frank dot at wabcradio.com. That's frank dot at wabcradio.com. By the way, if anyone wants to give a kidney, you only need one. So if you have two, uh, guys like Joe need your kidney. Guys like Troy, guys like uh, Sophia. They Well, girls like Sophia, they need your kidney. A lot of other folks have reached out to me that need a kidney. So I'd love, you know, maybe we'll do that next week. Next week, maybe we'll do a whole kidney show where we just um, work on, like, we'll do a kidney, kidney thon. Not ask people to give money, just give kidneys. Pledge to give a kidney. Um, You know, I think, I I could be incorrect about this, but I think John Katsimatidis was the recipient of a a living kidney donation. And that, I believe, saved his life. So I don't think John would object to us doing a whole kidney show, or at least a kidney hour. Uh, I will will run that up the flagpole. We'll see. Uh, One more comment on small talk, then we'll do $1,000 Minute, and Brian Kilmeade is here. Uh, Fran is in Queens. Hello, Fran. Hi. (laughs) Nice to talk to you. Um, but I was wondering, Frank, I listen to you a lot, and I was wondering, uh, is there anything that you can't find to complain about? <laughs> I mean, you talk about short, casual, meaningful conversation is okay. Uh, but uh, 
actually that conversation, that small talk, is just being polite and civilized. That's what it's all about. It greases relationships. Uh, I mean, even animals do it. They meet up in the jungle and they and they they have uh, uh, some kind of intercourse. They they speak to one another. Elephants will do that. Other animals will do that. What's to complain about to being nice? to people and saying, hi, how are you? Well, that's all fair, Fran. Uh, I I think if we met and had that sort of casual intercourse, I would have a great deal to complain about, to be honest. 800-848-9222. Seventh caller, we'll play the $1,000 minute. And Brian Kilmeade is here, 1-800-848-9222. Seventh caller, answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. You'll be $1,000 richer, simple as that. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. what Fran says of me, uh, Joe Jones, uh, you talk too much. Uh, we'll talk with uh, Brian Kilmeade in just a moment. But first, we're going to try and give one lucky person an opportunity to win some money. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Moore. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Frank, my namesake, no relation, in New Jersey. Hello, Frank. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, Frank, I assume you listen to the show. You know how the contest works, right? I do, sir. We'll skip the small talk and get right to the questions if you're ready. All right. All right. I'm ready. What franchise has characters named Han Solo, Darth Vader, and Luke Skywalker? Star Wars. What is a hamburger with cheese typically called? Cheese cheeseburger. What is five squared? Ten. No. Uh, five squared is twenty-five. 
Five squared oh, is twenty-five. Geez. It's square. It's it, you times itself. Uh, yeah. Frank, uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information, and uh, he will send you uh, math tutoring lessons and a uh, complimentary consolation prize. Uh, meantime, uh, somebody that uh, knows what five squared is is uh, somebody that also knows a thing or two about history, and that's Brian Kilmeade, New York Times best-selling author, co-host of Fox and Friends on Fox News Channel, nationally syndicated radio talk show host. One of the most listened to in the country, and uh, the host of a Saturday show on Fox News, which is just killing it as well. Brian, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Uh, good, Frank. You usually have a much longer quiz leading up to me. I'm very <laughs> disappointed for you because I know you like doing that. You, you know, you give you give uh, answers that lead up to uh, much tougher questions, but you you have to go to me early. I feel bad for your listeners. Now, do you do you think that that was too tough a question? Five squared. Well, I tell you, it throws you. I mean, I don't. I probably tenth grade is the last time someone asked me that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think I think a grade was on the line. But uh, I do think it's fair. Okay. I think it just okay. takes a, it takes a pause to go. Wait a second. Is this is this actually happening? This is true. All right, uh, Brian. Let me ask you about the story that uh, it seems like the all of I don't know if the whole world's talking about it, but the whole political world is talking about it, which is this raid at Mar-a-Lago and the status of the investigation, the move by the Trump folks to appoint a special master to review the documents in question. Where do you see this going, both legally and politically at this point, Brian? Oh, wow. Interesting. There might be a pause. I mean, we're going to find about a special master, and that'll be back in the news. It'll probably be uh, one of our top two stories. But there's going to be a pause. I, I think there's a, there's a rule, might even be a written rule, that you just don't you know, you're not going to indict a political figure this close to the midterms, and especially a political figure you can't even say he's retired. I mean, Donald Trump could, could very well run for president, get the nomination. So you're going to go, okay, uh, October 11th, uh, we're going to indict the uh, Republican, former Republican president. So this whole thing might have to wait till after November if they don't uh, come up with a verdict by next week, I think, September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. September 10th. So uh, we'll get an answer. You know, at first, when I when I saw those pictures, got up at the same time as you. Actually, you're up a little earlier because you're on the air. Uh, and I'm saying, okay, uh, they they provided so much detail on this raid. I thought they didn't want to decide any detail. <laughs> I thought a judge had to go, hey, guys, reveal some people, some uh, some of the affidavit. The the American people need to know, and it's not. No one's going to be hurt by that. Okay. And then they let this out. Then all of a sudden they'd have this Trevor Trove of information all to avoid a special master. If I was if I was so confident about my raid and my need to go in and what led to it and I had no other option, I'd say, I welcome. I, I need a ref. I need a ref to show me that I wasn't off sides, that, you know, that, that, uh, that the ball was in. Uh, I welcome it if, I'm, if I really believe that my raid was warranted. Instead, they worked so hard yesterday to reveal, and then said to myself, Did Donald, "Is that the bottom?" When I first looked at, it, "Is that the bottom of Donald Trump's closet? Top secret information?" You know, I said, "Okay, that's interesting." I didn't, I wouldn't think that's his speed because he's very organized guy. I mean, you, I, I was able to walk in the Oval Office. Nothing's on his desk. So, uh, and I was into, and, I, and many people listening right now have had the chance to visit Trump Tower or you watch The Apprentice for years. Mm. Pretty organized. I can't see him tossing folders. And it turns out the FBI threw him on the floor, took a picture. Right. So right. what are we being sold? We're being, we're being marketed to? Uh, to? Look at how shoddy he is. Excuse me. It, they're not on the floor. You took him and tossed him on the floor. Imagine that. Oh, this guy's a slob. Why? Well, I turned his office upside down. Oh, really? Thanks. 
Brian, what if what if it does appear? What if it is proven that uh, Trump had um, really highly classified documents, top secret information that uh, did provide information about human American human intelligence assets abroad and had, um, you know, all sorts of nuclear secrets, which maybe were being carelessly handled in the full view of anybody visiting Mar-a-Lago. You think that people are going to be irked about about Trump's handling of these documents, if that's but, but what frankly, shows? Like, which you just described is definitely not true. I mean, it was. They said that uh, they said that there was some folders in his closet. I mean, who's visiting Donald Trump's closet at Mar-a-Lago? And number two, uh, if it was, and the rest of the stuff was locked up. What they didn't like about it is that they said that the lawyers did not tell them everything that they had, and they found stuff there that they didn't know they. Uh, they didn't know it was even in the building that just told them was done. And I haven't seen the paperwork, but they said they signed a document that said, I gave you everything, or I'm about to give you everything. So, or you've seen everything. Okay. I, I don't know who that lawyer is. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. I don't think Donald Trump signed it. Uh, we'll have to know. And I just know this. This is the same guy they couldn't get to read the daily brief, and they used to mock him. <laughs> they go, you know, we used to we used to have knock it down to one page. When he stopped reading that, we read it to him. So now, all of a sudden, let's relive the four years in detail. Let's find out who's our special agent in Tunisia. Uh, you know, honey, gather around. Uh, hi, members of Mar-a-Lago, come, come one, come all. You know what I think has got to happen now? There's got to be a system. I don't care who the next president is. Uh, uh, Joe Biden, you're a one-term president. It is uh, uh, right before Christmas. We're going to go through all the paperwork with the National Archives, with all those librarians. And they could just sit around and go, nope, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then the president will have a chance to challenge it. And there will be a system. How hard is it? There's so much time between the election and, and the inauguration. Guys, what are you doing? Why is it that you are leaving box filing cabinet boxes on Marine One? I have no idea. You know, who are those people? Do you think that Donald Trump is in? They go, yeah, take this one, take this one, take this one. Do you think he's ever done that? You know, does he bubble wrap this, don't do that? You know how many moves he's had? You know, how many buildings he's in. So uh, I'm pretty sure he wasn't saying, I want all this. Now, what I do think, if there was substance to it, I do think there's a distrust there with, with Crossfire Hurricane. And I do think with the investigations on the impeachment, I think he wants to make sure that this stuff isn't destroyed should he be challenged in the future. That could be something legally. Uh, but I think he'll have a challenge to that. Go, go Yeah, uh, you guys spotted my campaign. I had to find out about it because I came president. But you also had to keep me top secret. So just in case you decide to change the story, I want a copy of that. Mm. But mm. there just seems to be totally disorganization. And, Frank, my goodness, on the transition of power, we've had 45 of them. Oh, excuse me. Some people win re-election. So let's say we've had 30 of them or 28. Can we get, can we get up a system? Well, Guys, yeah. today's the day where your chief of staff meets with the archives. Right. You know? Well, yeah, no, I, I think um, I mean, I think it was sort of a, a game changer, at least my understanding, in 1978, post Watergate, when they passed this Presidential Records Act, and then that made it so that the papers that these presidents created were no longer their personal property. Instead, then they became the property of uh, the National Archives of the American people. I think that's kind of the rub, and it's fairly modern. You know, there's only three or four, I guess there's six presidents that have had to deal with what to do with all these papers after they uh, after they leave office. What about the politics of it, Brian? It seemed like early on, 
all of Trump's potential adversaries for the 2024 nomination were lining up uh, behind him, and this was a boon to his political fundraising operation. It seems like maybe that has cooled off a little bit. You don't see a lot of the uh, prominent conservative market makers running on the Sunday shows to decry the conduct of uh, the Department of Justice as enthusiastically as they did when this story first broke. What do you see the political status of this at this point? Well, I would say Republicans have a a strategy that they really should adhere to, and that is inflation, illegal immigration, crime, um, Afghanistan. This is what we should be voting on. And we shouldn't be voting on Mar-a-Lago or 2020 uh, re-election. And even Jim Jordan or or Don Jr. or who's ever active in politics, they, they should not be... They should not be saying, yeah, let's go back to Mar-a-Lago. What I think is fascinating is the exposure of that uh, FBI agent and what Zuckerberg said with Joe Rogan. That, I think, has a lot of legs. But I think it's a loser for Republicans, I don't care how right you think Donald Trump is, to go, yeah, let's let's go over that raid again. There's a reason why CNN is leading with it, because they don't want to have to explain Joe Biden and what he really meant to say. They don't want to explain the divider in chief. They don't want to explain that he just insulted 74 million uh, people that voted for Donald Trump and called him mag extremist or that the governor Hochul in New York told uh, conservatives to leave the state. You know, we don't want you here. They, I've never heard that before. And Governor Chris of Florida saying, if you're voting for DeSantis, you're a hater. Don't vote for me. So the Republicans, every day they're not talking about uh, this ridiculous, irresponsible rhetoric and the president's track record. I think it's a loser for them. So I wouldn't necessarily think that they're off the Trump bandwagon, but it's kind of a boring story. You know, mm. it's OK. Got the records. Don't have the records. I, I you should have a raid. You don't have a raid. I hate Donald Trump. There's more proof of it. I love Donald Trump. This is uh, proof he's a target of it. And yet you and I live a life where most of the people that, uh, if I can speak for you, that, that really care about their budget, paycheck to paycheck, they're being affected every day. Did oh, you ever sure. talk to somebody? You go to a barbecue. You know what they're talking about? Utility bills. Mm. You know, and yeah, as gas is two dollars more expensive than it was. It's dollar, uh, a dollar off with how the high, but it's still expensive, affecting everybody's lives and everything else we get for, because of the supply chain, because of the price of diesel is more expensive where we go. And I could not believe this stat that 20 million Americans are late on their utility payments. One out of six can't make them. So, and then uh, the average person goes, Mar-a-Lago, really, Mar-a-Lago, a place I'll never be. Uh, uh, a, a, uh, a compound I'll never own. So I, you know, I feel like it's very 2020. Once you get past the sensationalism of it, and the special master will keep it a first-page story. But I think by the time we get done with Labor Day, I think this thing goes mm. quiet. Yeah, no, you may be right. Uh, one of the other things that uh, that we're seeing, uh, maybe a front-page story for one day, uh, but it's going to be very short-lived in terms of its actual consequence on the country, is this special election that took place in Alaska where it looks like the Democrats – picked up a seat with uh, Congresswoman Mary Peltola getting elected, and they're going to face off again in November for the entirety of this two-year term. This is just a couple of months. Uh, Does this spell the end of uh, Sarah Palin's political comeback, or you think she may fare better in the November election? I don't know. I mean, I can't bring you inside Alaska, but I will say she's almost a celebrity, and they are bitter with her the way she got got her uh, became governor and walked away from the job to be a to running mate of John McCain. They feel like she just walked away from Alaska, literally, 
and uh, there's a little bit of more resentment there than maybe she thought. And it's the first time they're doing this uh, this type of election. But look, it's a, it's something Democrats will be talking about flipping a seat today uh, in Alaska. And they're going to talk about Murkowski. Remember, Murkowski won as an independent. She didn't win as a Republican mm-hmm. as she tries to get those other six years. So I, I think if it was just a Republican against a Democrat, like what we saw in upstate New York, I would think that it's a bigger story. But I do think you're voting up or down Sarah Palin. And uh, from what I understand, there is some bitterness there still, which I feel bad for her. She gets tapped as a number two. John McCain ends up not even inviting her to the funeral. She loses her entire reputation. And now she goes back to Alaska and and doesn't win a special election seat. So Well, I mean, you know, again, I, I, we shouldn't put out take up a collection for Sarah Palin just yet. I mean, she has had a few good earning years and she's done some interesting things and wrote a book and she got to be a Fox you know, News. Wait, you know, her whole personal life's been destroyed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, like the divorce, her family exposed, you know, uh, well, whatever. I mean, I had a chance to see Ron Duguay. Uh, not Sarah Palin, and he he was raving about her. So you're right. Maybe he is doing good. They are dating. Um, and he talked about everywhere I go, I'm invisible for the first time in my life. And this guy was married to supermodels, <laughs> right. wasn't right. he? Right. Well, the people I really feel bad for is somebody that's 25 and a half years old that's dating Leonardo DiCaprio. It's come out this week that Leonardo DiCaprio has never publicly dated, no matter what age he is, Anyone over the age of 25. So now the gap between he and the women that he's dating, which apparently there's a cap at 25, you, is almost at the point where it's eclipsing the actual age of the women that he's dating. Uh, where are you on uh, on Leo Gate, Brian? Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because I am so concerned about celebrities <laughs> dating young women. And a lot of people, you know, like if I'm on with Piscopo or somebody, he never brings it up. But with Frank, uh, we delve into the DiCaprio and the women he dates on his yachts or he takes on his private jet to go to a, uh, a green, uh, green energy rally. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I'll put it this way. I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be doing this. I mean, it must not be easy to be a sex symbol full time. Um, and I wish him the best luck. I just don't know. There, there's such a gap in age. He must not be interested in conversation. He must be one of these guys that uh, that ha- likes hanging out with women for one reason, and then when it comes to conversation, calls George Clooney. <laughs> because, I mean, you're supposed to be dating a woman you somewhat can relate to. In theory, sometimes there's 25-year-olds that are old for their age. They have older brothers and sisters. I don't know. But, I mean, what do you talk about? It's a great question, but I can tell you when the microphone is off, Joe Piscopo has no problem having conversations about dating younger women. That's one of the conversations he's most most comfortable having. Brian, what's... So I was wrong. I stand correct. Off air. Off air. What's uh, what's coming up on Fox and Friends today? What's coming up on the the, uh, radio show today? Well, I am leading with the DiCaprio story. (laughs) And uh, and I don't really know if I'm going to have time to get to anything else. Uh, and, you know, I feel bad, too, because I'm going to bring the DiCaprio story up to Jason Chaffetz, Julie Banderas, Senator Rick Scott, Mark Thiessen, uh and Andy McCarthy. Now, how I'm do a- you not do that at this point? Now, if you brought up the Leonardo DiCaprio story to Jason Chaffetz and Rick Scott and Andy McCarthy, whatever their response is, it's going to be Fantastic. great. It's going to be great. You know what? I'm bringing it up. Thank you. Thank you. Are I'm, you going to be sleeping during my show? No, not, uh, not today. I'm here? not. I'm. I'm I will be. Uh, I will be <laughs> listening and watching intently, my friend.
I feel bad because I have my my lead researcher missed that story. <laughs> I have not, I, you know how much I've read already. I've been reading since two fifty. Nothing about DiCaprio. I will send it over to you. I will send if it over to you. Don't mind. Yeah, Brian. Thank you. We'll be watching. We'll be listening. I'll look forward to seeing you at the uh, at the party next week for the hundredth anniversary. Right. You and I will be uh, all falling asleep in the chair, <laughs> but we're doing it for. We're doing for John Casavitidis at WABC. Excuse me. You realize we have morning shows and overnight shows. Can't we have a noon luncheon? I mean, <laughs> come true. on. Or a breakfast. What better way right? to celebrate 100 years than a luncheon. A breakfast, right? All right, uh, Brian, uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, we'll be watching. Thanks again. Bye, Frank. All right, check out Brian on Fox and Friends. 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. We um, didn't get to do it yesterday because I went too long in talking, but that's what happens. Uh, today, uh, Matt Blaze was a much more judicious taskmaster, much more unforgiving taskmaster, and he has made sure that we did not go over. So we will give you an opportunity to have your 15 seconds straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. of midnight and now it's time for you to be heard 15 seconds say whatever you like within reason 800-848-9222 it's time for the other side of midnight this is 15 seconds of faith roger yeah hi you know if these uh, millions of illegal border crossers ever get amnesty the federal government's going to owe the reparations of generations and generations are those suspected any any money on natural? Uh, Fred. Hey Frank, I have a comparison for you. Hey Frank, I have a comparison for you. If Willie Mays doesn't belong in the Mets Hall of Fame, what about W. Allen B. Combs in the WABC Hall of Fame, or the Flory Dories in the Little Rascals Hall of Fame? Mike in Lake George. Oh, Flory Dory again, and Willie Mays. Uh, Frank, I was crying before, and my man on the phone, let's go Cortland. You know, when you were talking about small talk, uh, I'm thinking of a nice-looking girl with conversational intercourse, rim shot. Uh, funny stuff, man. <laughs> Thank you. Right, Frank. Thank Good you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll uh, slam the lid on things there. I'll be back tomorrow. Ask Frank anything. Think of good questions between now and tomorrow. We've got some great prizes to give away. Frank Morano, good day.